Oh, we be live everywhere except Twitch. Twitch didn't let us go live. Let me just change the edit. Ch change, change the edit. No, I'm talking. Change it to change the tire. Public news number no. 180. Yeah. I don't know why they don't like our title. So we're live everywhere. The title today. Yeah. Let's not mention the title because they might. Okay. Atheist Republic News. Um, I'm just going to say Atheist Republic News. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see if we could also go oh, live on Twitch now. So Twitch is Hello, the most sensitive. Everyone. Okay. Yes. Now we're live everywhere. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitch now. Yes. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, Luke is here. We haven't seen Luke in ages. I miss oh, you. What the hell? Where have you been, Luke? He's in school studying. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. And I cool. do encourage people to, you know, do their studies. Be good little atheist children and study hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was super cringy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. I'm kidding. That was cute. That was funny. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, we're going to be covering the news on atheism. I'm hearing echo, but I'm assuming it's just me as usual, and nobody else is hearing the echo. Uh, we're going to be talking about news on atheism, secularism, culture, some stuff that is somewhat relevant, you know, and Suze picks the news. So we'll see what yes. Suze has picked today. Um, this week is one of those weeks where we have a news topic that isn't, you know, directly religious, but so that, Ooh, okay. that how you threaten that we do that just to annoy people when that yes. is not my intention anyways. That's actually true this week. <laughs> All right. So out of the 10, one is not religious. Okay. I wonder what that one is. Okay. I'm so let's, let's, go to okay so for the first news can we clap yes it's very interesting first news first news new study examines anti-atheist discrimination in the workplace so this is a study that i just found out about recently and i really wanted us to discuss it on march 4th authors kimberly rios leah helper and christopher uh shirley published an article titled Explaining Anti-Atheist Discrimination in the Workplace, The Role of Intergroup Threat in a journal by the American Psychological Association. This study claims that people are more biased against atheists expressing their lack of belief versus theists expressing their beliefs, particularly in the workplace environment. Rios referred to atheists as one of the, quote, most disliked groups in, Amer in the United States, as atheists are viewed less warmly in the U.S. versus Christian, Jews, and Muslims. In the study's conclusion, Rios and her team explained that the result of the three, study, the three studies that were part of this article refers to atheists as um, being members of an outgroup. They stated that such discrimination might have something to do with the fact that Christian, Jews, and Muslims fall under the broader umbrella of religious, whereas atheists are a separate category altogether, end quote. So atheists are viewed as less, less warmly. Wait, are they treated less warmly or is seen as less warmly? Which one did you say? Um, They're oh, viewed... Let me, let me 
not as uh, positively. Yeah. And there are a multitude of studies about how there are more negative opinions about atheists versus um, any broad religious group. And also, um, in some studies, atheists are viewed less positively than people who create, who commit um, very bad sexual crimes, basically. Um, I'm not going to use the R word. Um and yeah, but that, those were old. Those were a UBC study that was like ages ago. But this one is a new one. That conf this is a new one, right? Yes, but this study is referencing that past work to try to explain the attitudes that are um, uh. that were demonstrated in this study. So this study was very interesting. Um, the authors conducted an experiment across three studies with some variations. The premise of the experiments was focused on the whether and why when it comes to the religious expression in the workplace. So participants were shown these little recorded vignettes, a little recorded scene of actors um, like with employees seeking to express their religious beliefs in the workplace or seeking to express their atheism or, or non-belief in the workplace. And, you know, little like mini skit. And um, it, it would display these employees um, requesting to display something that lets them express their belief or non-belief. And the employees in the vignette were either a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, or an atheist. And then after going through these scenarios, and you know there were controls and all this stuff, um, the participants were then asked to rate their willingness to grant the employee's request to um, allow them to express their belief or non-belief. And people um, were, there was lower approval, lower approval for atheists expressing their non-belief in the workplace. And they had different theories that kind of played upon um, well-established um, uh, social psychological theories of um, intergroup dynamics that they kind of used to explain their findings. Um, but that was the gist of the study summary. Okay, so and and this is worse than what Muslims are facing in United States. Um, yeah, they were in, okay. the the participants of the study when put so, in the theoretical position of being the employer, being the boss, they were more likely to grant the requests of any group that was religious versus the atheist group or atheist employee. All right. So just a few things. First of all, I want us to be able to highlight this because this is such an important topic. Like, just compare the level of attention that this is getting um, to the discrimination against Jewish people and Muslims in um, North America, right? And when I say that, I hope nobody thinks that I'm saying that the discrimination against Muslims and Jewish people should get less attention, okay? In fact, those should also get more attention than they're already getting, okay? Like, I'm not advocating for less attention to anti-Muslim or anti-Jewish discrimination, right? I'm not advocating that for that. Like, please get that in your head, okay? In fact, I would advocate for more of those. However, the fact that atheists are by so many studies now in North America. Like, I can't even imagine how bad this must be everywhere else, given that this is what we say, not everywhere else, in many other places, right? 
given how bad this is in North America, like I can't like imagine how this is like in Egypt, for example, right? Um, like, yeah, no, but like you wouldn't like, dare. Are, are you kidding me? Are there even yeah, but like the Jewish people left in Egypt? No, I'm talking about atheists. Sorry. Let me, you know, so I'm talking about atheists, right? Let me, okay, so let me just be a little bit more clear, okay? Given how much attention, deservedly so, attention, anti-Muslim discrimination and anti-Jewish discrimination is getting in the United States, look how far we are, behind we are that even bringing attention to the fact that atheists are facing discrimination in the United States gets you, gets ridiculed, not just by non-atheists, by atheists. People, people who are atheists that are thinking, they think like, oh, you're just like, you're just being a crybaby. You just want to, this is like victimhood uh, competition. Again, I have to. We have to be careful, guys. If you are an atheist that is not facing discrimination, do not act like you are the goddamn victim, right? Like, don't use this as an opportunity to be like, "Oh, poor me, poor us." Okay, don't do that because you're not helping, right? Like, learn from this whole victimhood competition in other people who are being discriminated, and then ruining movements that are supposed to be for people's civil rights. May, let's make sure. Us atheists don't do that. Like, like, well, we can't make sure. Like, at least you don't do that, right? Um, <laughs> like, for example, I want to bring attention to this because this is not getting enough attention. And I want to also mention that I am not discriminated against as an atheist, okay? I have almost never felt discriminated against for being an atheist, okay? So this is not about me, okay? Um so I'm not like, oh, poor me, poor me. Like, none, none, none of that, okay? And please don't do that yourself, okay? Unless you're actually a victim, okay? And also, and when you are a victim, be careful not to exaggerate what's happening, okay? Um, but this does, you know, we don't want to compete in the victimhood Olympics personally, but this, there's a gap here. Like, this is like, we're not trying, like, when we're bringing that attention to the fact that there's a gap here, it's not because we're trying to outcompete in like who's the greatest victim. This is actual data, right? Like this is not something that we want to win at, <laughs> right? As, as being the greatest victims. This is this is just facts, all right? This is like, I'm, and I'm also let me let me be clear. I'm pretty sure there are some other metrics that you could come up with that. Atheists are not the greatest, you know, the most discriminated against, right? Maybe if you like, if you look at job di discrimination, maybe, I don't know, maybe atheists come up at the top. But if you think about like, if, yeah, actually maybe in some other more important metrics, for example, if you look about violence, right, then maybe Jewish people will become mu much higher in the list, which is actually a much more not important maybe, metric. Not maybe, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what, it, yeah, so definitely, right? So I'm not... I'm not trying to say like, oh, poor atheists, look at them, they're the worst, worst off. No, okay? But it is something that is, you can't even, like, in some places you can't even address. Um, and this is important. Like, guys, this is not about like, hey, where is our cookies? We're victims. This is an actual civil rights issue. This is an actual discrimination case. Like, we're like, we're not, we're not like, look at our fifis. 
look at how sad we are. We're actually pointing to actual data, <laughs> right? Like this is, um, I don't know how to do this without people like, because what I've noticed that even atheists think like, you know, atheist activism is cringe, right? Well, I mean, if you think it's cringe, like, I mean, this is a human rights issue. This is, this is an actual discrimination issue. How is that, like, is that, is like, is bringing attention to discrimination, is that cringe now? Like, I think like, edge, you know, some edgy people have had bad experiences with like edgy atheists, always like maybe exaggerating things and maybe sometimes having experience with people who are just seems to be, to be, um, oversensitive about like many things. And then now like, you're like, okay, well now we're, we're actually talking about a discri discrimination. Like people are like, oh yeah, atheist. Like now they're crying about something else. Like, no, guys, this is an actual studied <laughs> case. They are being discriminated against. This is a similar ice issue. This is an anti-discrimination case. This is, this is like, if you care, if all of this news and highlights and activism about helping Jewish people uh, against discrimination and helping Muslims against discrimination and helping other minorities in the United States against black people against discrimination. Um, can we also maybe like without like talk about atheists, given that this seems to be a big issue, <laughs> right? Like, no, like, yeah, please, like just a little bit. Yeah, go on, Susanna. Um, these are all very good points and I'm completely on board with you. I just want to clarify some things so it's clear to the audience. Um, so this was studying attitudes, um, of a sample, right? I think of um, uh, university students from a Midwestern university. At least one of the studies had like 900 students. And, and there, there are three that composed this article as a whole. And um, so this was examining attitudes, not explicit real world cases of discrimination in the workplace. And I just want to be clear that there is a difference between being discriminated from a hiring position in a job and which is against the Civil Rights Act. Right. But then there's a difference between that and just to what extent you allow someone to express an opinion or belief that they have in the workplace. Like that's actually technically not really within the purview of the civil rights act like this law does not control how employee employers should perceive their employees how colleagues should perceive their colleagues um nor does it criminalize you know not cooperating with someone's expression of their belief or non-belief um in certain circumstances um you know like sincerely held moral and ethical beliefs you know, can't, should be accommodated unless there's an undue hardship on the employer. Um, I, but I just wanted to make that distinction is that this is more attitudinal versus discriminatory action. Um, but kind of some of the theories behind why this was the case that um, the study positive was that um, atheists, it's, atheists are perceived as constantly imposing their lack of belief on others regardless of what faith group that other might be. And then the second one is the well-studied um, attitude that atheism or atheists are seen as detrimental to like a company's economic state or resources because they're just seen as like potentially like amoral um, people. Um, bo obviously, both of these things are not inherently true. 
and it played on some really interesting um so uh psychosocial models of the intergroup threat theory and the in-group identity model so it's basically how different groups and to what extent we are able to um lend a common identity to someone from an out group and also to what extent we see someone from an out group as a threat and atheists fall outside of the purview of Abrahamic faith. So even though obviously there are huge contentions between the three Abrahamic major faiths, um, they still, they're still like, they have um, a hub at the middle of the spoke. So they still have things that they can connect on um, between their religious and cultural traditions. And atheists may fall outside of that, you know, um, in their current belief, although oftentimes we all know that a lot of atheists come from these backgrounds. Um, so they're seen as this thing that's just like totally foreign and actually antagonistic possibly to um, one of these Abrahamic um, beliefs, like um, personal or religious identities, which can and, be seen well, as um, maybe creating animosity in a workplace. That's a little bit my own speculation there to be clear. Yeah, well, talking about speculations, um, I also want to mention that I also speculate that some of this discrimination comes from other, um, some of these attitudes comes from other atheists, right? Um, like one form of anti-atheist discrimination, I, again, I don't know if this is true, but just like anecdotal and personal experience, which could be completely wrong, but I would like to see um, is, is, you know, other atheists who look, who see other atheists as, you know, less, you know, in this attempt to see, uh, be, be seen as accepting as other people's religion, um, you know, you notice a lot of atheists be like, you know, I'm an atheist, but not like, not like those atheists, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the good atheist, you know, I'm a good one. Uh, don't, don't worry, I'm not like those other uh, annoying atheists. Um, and also, um, I see a lot of atheists say that, you know, I am an atheist, but I keep my atheism to, to myself because I don't want to be hostile to other people's. Uh, I respect others' beliefs. Yeah, let me finish this. Yeah, <laughs> no, but the thing, yeah, ex well, here's the thing, like the idea of, it, it's very interesting because they have the standard to what it means to respect other people's beliefs that they never hold for religious people, right? Um, like these, a lot of these atheists would never say like a Muslim should keep his views to himself, sh should never talk, like should not mention what his views are. Like they're like, oh, you know, they will ex accept that for them. They're like, you know, they would even welcome it. Like, um, like imagine if, you know, don't, do not, you know, do not see, a Jewish person ever talking about their culture, for example, as an attack on themselves, right? They would never, never say, like, or about their beliefs, like, if somebody comes to work with, I don't know, symbols of their religion, they don't feel like, okay, this is an attack on me because you expressed your religious views. They would be like, no, of course not. I'm very accepting. Um, you know, you do you. I will be, you know, live and let live. You could express your views and whatever. But then when it comes to themselves or other atheists, the mere mention of the fact that you're an atheist is considered an attack on everyone around you. So they're like, 
oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I don't use that label or I don't mention to people that I'm an atheist because I don't want to attack people. Like they consider a mere identification of, of yourself, just the label atheist, just saying that you don't believe in God and an attack on everyone around you. This is the standards that atheists have on themselves. You know, this isn't, you know, a lot of anti-atheist discrimination is just self-inflicting, but go on. Oh, well, I was just going to um, share again, anecdotal personal experience in my personal experience, the atheists are just non-religious people who have this very poo-poo attitude towards secular activism in my personal experience are those who didn't grow up religiously. So they don't see what the big deal is. They're like, why are you, why do you care so much about this? Why does this make you so angry? Why does this make you so aggressive? And I'm like, I want to prevent abuse. I want to prevent the crap that I had to go through, you know, like based on I'm more personally compelled because I have personally experienced, you know, the harm of it to go forth and prevent that harm. Whereas those who had the blessing, shall we say, of not being raised religiously, they're like, you know, you just seem so angry. Like, what's the big deal? And um, that attitude really frustrates me. Of course, this isn't, isn't the case. I know a lot of people who grew up completely non-religious who are very passionate about, you know, um, the same things we are. But that's who I most often hear that kind of attitude towards. But I have a proposition. I actually was able to get the full PDF of this article. Would you be interested in maybe doing like a full stream on this? Uh, yeah, maybe we could discuss that um, yeah. off air. But yeah, maybe. Um, I, I also, you know, given what you said, I also want to do to those atheists who like have these attitudes towards other atheists, but seem to be very accepting of uh, religious people. I just want them to also. Whenever they're thinking about an atheist, just mentioning their lack of belief or like talking about, I don't know, certain um, rights or attitudes that needs to be fixed or certain, you know, lack of belief that needs to be normalized. If they think like that is like, unneed, you know, hostile or disrespectful or not needed, just imagine their fellow atheist um, if they were like Jewish or Muslim and just, Put, like just think like just pretend like the convers the attitudes that they have towards them expressing themselves if they had that towards a muslim or a jewish person how would they how would that make them feel like would you have the same and then realize that they are one of the examples they are one of the examples of this discrimination right you know these atheists who feel like that like you are the reason why we need to do these things right because you don't have the same standard that you have for the standard that you have for Jewish people or, or like Muslims, you don't have that for atheist people, right? So if, you know, for example, if a Muslim comes to your workplace as, you know, you're, you know, goes like praise in the middle or like pick, take out his Quran and wants to read it, uh, you don't walk, you don't go to him like, I don't know why you care. Like, why do you have to like do this? Like, you know, why would you like, you know, why do you care so much about this? Like, or somebody, if somebody complains to HR about thinking like the work, you know, people are not, he's being mistreated for being a Muslim or he doesn't feel like it's a welcoming attitude. Like, what would you be your reaction to that? Um, if your if you're, if you're reaction to that would be cringe, um, but then no, then why would that be to an atheist? Like, just like, just see if there's some bias in your own head and if and if yes, then you you know you are the reason why we need to bring attention to this. But again, this I, I, this will one day become 
a big thing globally. Um, I don't know when, but anti-atheist discrimination will become a major uh, civil rights movement. And I think the fact that so many people think this is ridiculous um, and not worthy of, an att of anyone's attention shows how far behind we are, right? Um, because any other group that is treated like this globally um, right now is their human rights issues are major topics, major topics, major, and, and there are multiple organizations, movements dedicated to helping them, but not for atheists, right? Not for atheists globally. Um, and, he, you know, if you don't, let me just tell you, if you don't care about atheists, care for, you know, you, let me tell you why, for selfish reasons, this is in everyone's interest. Because in many places, atheist rights and accepting attitudes towards atheists is the last thing that gets fixed, right? So given that this is the bottom of the you know list, if you could be a society where atheists are accepted, almost everyone else is accepted, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. This is like you. This is a society where accepts everybody <laughs> if atheists are accepted, right? Like this is good for Muslims, Jews, mm -hmm. um, ethnic minorities. Like this is a level of tolerance that your society has, right? So, you know, it's just like, you know, we're kind of like the canary here. But yeah, you wanted to say something. Well, I actually have a small confession to make. Like. What? those atheists who didn't care and didn't even think of this and like poo pooed and like dismissed like so-called angry atheists. Like that was me until like I got involved with the atheist Republic there until I learned of atheist Republic and the work that we do, you know, because I wasn't educated. I didn't know what the stakes were in so many different countries. You know, I took the protections that I have in the beautiful thing called the bill of rights um, for granted you know, the majority of my life. And then I learned and it completely changed my attitude. So I just want to let people know, like, your mind can change, you know, and that's part of what we try to do is teach people and really inform them about what it is like for atheists around the world. Because a lot of people in North America and Western Europe, they don't know and they never considered it. But once they learn, they're like, oh, that's so messed up. I want to be on board. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, by the way, if you're one of those people who are uh, who is not experiencing victimhood, but you're crying about it as if you're the victim, you're the reason why these cases, why are why people dismiss us. So please don't make this about yours. Please, 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 please. Uh, if you want to help, don't make this about yourself. Okay. Um, anything in the live chat that is relevant that you, we want to highlight about this? Um, well, secular rarity is calling me a badass for my. Uh, turn of face, my 180. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I will yeah. highlight that. <laughs> Anything else? Because I saw a whole bunch of yeah, that was um, a, uh, just people sharing their own personal experiences of um, discrimination mm -hmm. or not within the workplace. Some people work in religious yeah. workplaces and they say, actually, they're very accepting. Some people say, I get more um, negative feedback from my colleagues, but it's not that severe but it still happens, mm. you know, very right, interesting. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Um, just hopefully this, we could normalize this, you know, guys, here's just one advice. If you can get away with, 
identifying yourself as an atheist, okay, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, being open about your atheism, if it's, please be careful. I don't know where you are. This could be very dangerous. So don't do that if it's dangerous. But do so if you if you have very carefully assessed the risk and the, all the other costs, and if you if the cost is not high, if the cost is zero, especially please consider labeling yourself an atheist and telling people sometimes that you're an atheist. Don't just like throw it out there like randomly. You know, like don't be. <laughs> but Wait. if the opportunity comes out, like make sure you, you, uh, it helps. It helps normalize atheism. But what? There's a comment by Hall Jordan that I just want to call out saying, why don't, why do you guys not talk about the atrocities against religious minorities <laughs> in Pakistan? Hall Jordan, oh I would like to let you know that one, you're obviously new here. I know more about the religious abuse of uh, abuse of religious minorities than probably most of the Pakistani diaspora across the world. Okay. And I do mm. more than pretty much anyone else I know to educate people on this issue. So, you know, Maybe yeah. check. I would actually encourage you. I, I think you would really like a lot of our other content because we spend a lot of time talking about this. So go check right. it out. How, well, actually, I have a question for Hal Jordan. Okay. Hal Jordan. Why are you so dumb? Oh, why no. are you just, why I'm are you so dumb? I'm trying to encourage him to go check out what we do. <laughs> okay. I will encourage you to be less dumb by assuming less. You know, just don't assume things. You know, just be less dumb. Okay. That's my idea. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> you must be new here. <laughs> um, Anyways. Oh, so wait, let's I have the wrong article. Go to the next wait. news. It is one second, one second. very interesting. Do we clap? Um, I think we can clap just because it's like a what the hell kind of story. Wait, there's something wrong with this link. I don't know why it says the it says the IP has been banned. What? Weird. You were just on the other page. Yeah, but now it's not. Not yeah, Atheist Republic has been banned. Let me see our website. Does the website load for you? Um. Yeah, it says the IP has been banned. I just had it just a second ago, but now I can't have, bring it up anymore. What the? Okay, well, do you want me to pull it up? Yeah, I have everything else open, but can you pull it up, see if it loads for you? Yeah. Um, let me... Did something happen to our website just now? Oh, here, mm -hmm. I, another browser. Just I, I managed to bring it up in another browser. Okay. Okay. There's something wrong with my other browser here. Well, we should investigate that later. Yeah, that's we very will. weird. All right. Can we clap? Um. Yeah, let's do it. Next news. Next news. Indian godmen arrested for eating human flesh and grave robbing? Question mark. In Tamil Nadu, India. On July 24th, by the way, do not play that video that is in the uh, in the new in the article. Whoops. Um, on July 24th, a group of Samidyas or so-called godmen, were alleged to have eaten human flesh during an annual festival in the Sakthi Pothi Sudalai Madasami Temple. A video of the festival shows a human head being skewered by a sword with one of the Samidya eating something. 
14 individuals were questioned regarding the incident. Only eight people were arrested concerning the consumption of human flesh and alleged grave robbing. The arrest happened after the village administrator filed a complaint with the local authorities. Local authorities exp expressed that they're planning to file charges under Section 297 of the Indian Penal Code and for breaching of social distancing protocols. The Samidias claim they know nothing about any human remains, adding that they can't recall if they were eating anything since they were in a trance the whole time. How do these people not get food poisoning? I don't get it. <laughs> like it, it was a from it, like the grave, like they took it from a grave and they ate it. Like it wasn't fresh, but you know, like I don't think. How do they not get food poisoning? Like this is is this not rotten? Like it's it, the brain gets really like filled with bacteria very fast after the death like you know it's like it, the easiest part of the body for you to like it's, it's wet it will get infected really easily how do these people how are these people alive i don't get it like are they like do they have they just built amazing immune systems <laughs> <laughs> an immune system been... of steel could survive a nuclear blast <laughs> like i honestly don't understand um it, I, if there's anyone who's more familiar with this, because I was looking for more information, but I couldn't really find anything conclusive in the English side of Google. But this reminded me a lot of the practice of the Agoris. Do you remember about the Agoris? Aren't, are they, these not the Agoris? Well, they're called Wait, something Agori. else, but they seem we to be to, doing a we similar practice. We have to give practice. respect to the Agoris every time we talk about them, or else we would get banned yes, on YouTube yes, yes. because all right respect to agories all right yeah um but yeah go on well these are not like, agories i don't know but it seems I, like a similar I, I, I hear human i hear human flesh eating in india i think agori no same there are other people same. there are more more than agories than eat human flesh in india this is an important I mean, question yeah, no, I think I think they, like look at this guy. This guy is a gori, and he has the skull right in front of him as well. If these are agoris, I'm pretty sure they're agoris. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm I don't know. And if oh, by the way, agoris do have um, I think very strong immune system because they they eat garbage. They must yes, they yeah, actually for those eat garbage. Who are not familiar, um, agoris they devote their lives to Lord Shiva, who is known as the Destroyer. And as part of their complete and utter devotion to Lord Shiva, they do things that we all, well, most people would find extremely disgusting. And they actually do purposefully disgusting things in this kind of practice of trying to, to destroy their own ego. And this includes like destroying socially acceptable behavior in a way. Like, yeah, and it's not just supposed to be disgusting. It's supposed to be like um, spiritually impure stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think these people are very anti-caste, by the way. Like, they are doing the low, the the low, the outcast kind of stuff. Like, they're like, I mean, it's even you know, beyond that. Yeah, yeah, they're like, 
the stuff that you're, you know, we're not supposed to touch the dead. We eat the dead. We're not supposed yeah, yeah, to yeah. touch the garbage. We eat the garbage. To the Dalek community, they're like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they're like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a like, kind of rebellion against everything sacred in Hinduism. They're like, we become overly sacred by becoming, and, you know, it's kind of like going, doing, becoming so anti anything sacred that we come all the other way from other way around and become the most sacred. I don't know, it's yes, weird. exactly. But, uh, yeah, well, I don't know what this Risa is saying. I don't know if we got, a lot of people who say things that they said we did their research, they come up with crap stuff. I don't know if this is one of them. Um, it looks like this Tamils is, still hold some of their cannibalistic roots. Okay, I don't no, this is not, not no. no, I don't think this. Wait, hold on. This guy, I don't know. Oh no, this is what he was saying. I don't think this is right. This, this is, is from, from Tamil Nandu. This video is from not in Tamil but Telugu isn't some media but some in yar i looked this up i'm not sure i don't know um i don't it's all i think I don't, to me. maybe like, it's, it's true to maybe it's not but a lot of people like i just want to clarify that a lot of people in live chat when they say like oh i did my research like half of the time they're full of you know crap so i don't know i'm not I saying say that that's true. <laughs> more than half of the time so i don't know maybe it's true maybe it's not but but yeah so but but I, it's very interesting so the, this was this wasn't in, no this was we had a report of the police arrest and everything right mm -hmm. so um but um i'm just very happy that they took to the, the police came in and they're like you're arrested for eating human and not properly social distance <laughs> that was <laughs> my favorite part <laughs> like what are the charges eating human flesh and grave robbing and also you're not you're standing too close together <laughs> yeah <laughs> the duality of man right there <laughs> like, was it too much to ask for you to do your human flesh eating while staying six while feet wearing apart? ppe thank you very much <laughs> hey i mean guys this is not actually actually maybe hmm. Maybe that maybe we make fun of this, but I think social not social distancing might be more is more harmful than eating the flesh of somebody who's already dead. Honestly, you're right because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not social distancing affects harms others yeah. versus the con consumption of uh, a deceased yeah, person so only hurts you. So based Indian police to no, I'm actually impressed with the Indian police right now. I like. They're like we we you know we're gonna uphold all the laws, not just anti, <laughs> not just anti-human flesh eating. We're like we're gonna make sure that everything is enforced. I know that's pretty good. Indian police doing its job properly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So this oh was just God. kind of a moment in uh, this week in extreme religious practice. <laughs> this happened. Oh, the, the person in the live chat is like, mate, my grandpa was Tamil. Like, okay, you know that people are full of crap when they use like that as a way of, to say that there's something. They know when people use like, oh, my grandpa was from here. Therefore, I'm an expert at this. Then you know they're full of crap. Um, all right. There is nothing you hate more than people claiming expertise just based off of ancestry. <laughs> and AG is going, oh not true Hinduism. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 
Um, I don't think we should clap for this news. All right, all right. Um, so next news. Okay, next news. Jehovah's Witnesses jailed as extremists for practicing their religion in Russia. On July 29th, three Jehovah's Witnesses were sentenced to six years in prison in Rostov-on-Don in southern Russia. They were charged with organizing schemes related to extremism. Two of them are a father and a son, Villain, age 68, and Arson, age 37, uh, Arson Avanasov received an additional charge for collecting donations to pay for a room that serves as their makeshift church. Arson was charged with, quote-unquote, financing extremist activities. Both international and Russian-based human rights watchdogs, including religious organizations, are appalled by the Russian government's actions. The former ambassador of the UK to Russia, Sir Andrew Wood, describes Russia's extremist labels as, quote, having no credible definition. Um, so I wanted to talk about this story for several reasons. Um, first of all, the persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia is extremely well documented. And... Um, I'm very passionate passionate about talking about the abuse of religious minorities across the world. And it's important that we highlight this in Russia as well, because you don't hear about it as often. And it's also very interesting and important to talk about the abuse of Jehovah's Witnesses because they are also a cult. The Jehovah's Witness organization, or also known as the Watchtower Organization, is a destructive organization that is explicitly harmful and teaches destructive beliefs and practices to their members. This is a group that I completely oppose. Um, they are probably one of the most widely just accepted and normalized cults in the world because they've been around for a very long time. Um, and talking about the contention between a group that is a destructive cult and how a state should handle these types of groups is something that I think is extremely important to talk about. So when there are destructive, harmful groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe Scientology, maybe some um, more Eastern-oriented cult like the Rajneeshis, if you watch the documentary Wild Wild Country on Netflix, for example, you'd be familiar um, a lot of people see organizations like this and they're like, well, the government should do something. They should just ban this organization. And I am someone who have, is very passionate about educating the public about destructive influence and destructive cults, right? And I completely oppose that approach um, for a multitude of reasons. One, it just punishes people for their beliefs. It's authoritarian and I'm don't have that orientation, anti-authoritarian. And also it doesn't teach people how to think for themselves. It's actually doing the opposite. It is telling the people that the state should think for you. I oppose that. And um, it's, I mean, I could just go on about this for a long time. And it's also important to talk about this because destructive organizations like the JWs 
use the persecution of their members in other countries to actually bolster their own reputation outside of those um, persecutory countries. So we see this in similar groups like Falun Dafa, or also known as Falun Gong, where they use the severe abuse that their members face in China actually as propaganda for marketing. And the JW organization is guilty of the same thing. Um, so, Armin, do you have any thoughts on this? Why is Russia's government so sensitive about Joe's businesses compared to other religions? Like, why is this? I like can give you a very good answer. Tell me. And we're going to touch on this later in the show as well. Um, governments or states or leaders with an authoritarian bent have a concerted interest in controlling groups that have allegiances outside of a, a loyalty to the state or their leader. Yeah, but it seems like Russia, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like China, for example, is very consistently against like crashing. I mean, by, by the way, guys, we're not endorsing this. I'm just saying like, seems like Russia has a bone to pick with Jehovah's Witnesses more than other, am I, am I, like I've seen stories like this a couple of times. Like, is there? Am I? So I don't actually know what the data is. So I mean, this might be completely wrong. But is it like Russia just like very anti-Jehovah's Witness more more than other things, or am I just imagining that? Yes, they are. They, they are. So why is why is it specifically Jehovah's Witness that they are so sensitive about? Um, because of well, kind of for the reasons I said before, but um. Jehovah's Witness is like broadly a Christian belief system, um, but mm -hmm. it exerts um, an insane level of control over its members versus other Christian organizations. And they also have very, um, I mean, not to be all Catholic on you, <laughs> not to go all Catholic, but they have very deviant beliefs, like the deviant from, deviate from the orthodoxy of common Christian thought. Um, and they, th there's a massive emphasis in the Watchtower organization on recruitment. Um, it's one of the most important things that the members do as members or the organization is recruit is to distribute propaganda for the organization. So again, very authoritarian states would have an interest in not allowing that type of behavior. And when they say um, jailed as extremists, how do they define extremism? Because we're talking Russia here. I mean, like, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. This, yeah, like they're accused of financing extremist activities when they're trying to like mm. raise money where they can have an underground church, you know? So hmm. this is exactly your, that question is exactly why the international community gets up in arms about instances like this. This isn't the first time that this has happened to JWs in Russia. Because to quote the former ambassador of the United Kingdom to Russia, Sir Andrew Wood, he says, quote, Russia's goal is repression, not the exercise of justice. Like everyone has that exact same criticism as you did. It's like, wait, what is, what, by what definition, by what standard? Besides yeah, the standard of they do not fall, fall and fall in line in the same way with what I want as an authoritarian state. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, I just think like, 
is is Jehovah's Witness an actual threat? It, it, it's amazing that they're so they take these actions so preemptively before it becomes a problem. Because I don't think it's a problem right now, <laughs> right? Like it, these people are so paranoid about losing control that they don't even wait for something to be a problem. Like this is control. This is like a this is a group that we have no control over and is coming from outside, so it needs to be destroyed. <laughs> like okay, or chill. Or chill. Um, I mean, yeah. Um. If you were trying to like play devil's advocate, so to speak, you know, they say like we have a concerted effort in our citizens not falling prey to very destructive organizations that do promote legitimately and objectively harmful, very harmful beliefs and on so many different levels. Um, but the obviously we complete the two of us would completely oppose this approach. Um, it doesn't work, first of all. Like, Australia tried to ban Scientology within the continent of Australia. I don't know if it's still banned, but it didn't work. It just goes underground. And it actually fuels the persecutory delusion of groups like this. And they use that to legitimize their dogma. And, and also you're doing a lot of... weird oh. thought reform mm. patterns within their members as well. And also you're doing a lot of marketing for them because mm -hmm. now they're on the news and people are now curious uh, if you try to make them illegal and then you didn't succeed now now that it's not illegal you managed to get them so much coverage that now that it's legal people now have to go check it out uh, some people have to go check it out mm -hmm. so so that's how yeah anyways um anything you want to highlight in the live chat before we go to the next news um Oh, AGA was saying that they are not currently banned in Australia. Not banned. I believe yeah. that happened. But in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. But that attempt and the failure. Mm -hmm. That attempt and the failure of banning them would be the best marketing for them possible. Oh, Anyways. She's also hmm. correcting me. She's saying they, meaning the Australian government, never tried to ban Scientology, just remove tax exemption. I must be misremembering uh, something I learned in a documentary. Thank you for that correction, EGA. Okay. All right. Can I clap for the next news? Yes. Next. Wait, that was pathetic. Next news. That was next news. Let's go over there. International Criminal Court charges Iranian national for 1988 massacre. So, in, uh, well, the massacre occurred in Iran. But on June 22nd, the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court in Sweden began the trial for an Iranian national. The unnamed defendant is suspected of playing a vital role in the series of political killings in 1988. The trial is slated to begin on August 10th. Many news agencies refer to the Iranian national as 60-year-old Hamid Nouri. In the late 1980s, Nuri was the assistant to a deputy persecutor in the uh, Goharjdasht prison in Karaj, where many prisoners were subjected to torture and inhumane treatment. Nuri affirms that he is innocent of all the charges. In an interview with a local news agency in Sweden, Nuri's lawyer, Lars Hultgren, insisted that Nuri is innocent, claiming that, quote, they have taken the wrong guy. 
Hootgren added that Nuri was in Sweden at the time to visit his family. The office of the prosecutor confirmed that Nuri's charges were for his time as the assistant to the deputy prosecutor. So I wanted to cover this news because we have um, given Iran's recent election where Ibrahim Raisi is the quote unquote democratically elected. <coughs> we're skeptical. Actually, we know it's not the case. President of Iran. Um, his um, election to that position has brought a lot of international attention to the crimes that happened in 1988 that were kind of hidden under the rug in a way for many decades in which um, the government of Iran did mass murders of political prisoners um, who were part of an organization that go by the initials MEK. And I wanted to cover this, is- this because we were talking about this before and how there hasn't been much justice or attention surrounding these crimes. And this is kind of, um, it's coming around, you know, it's starting, it, people, people are starting to think about it. It's starting to happen. Um, and it, I also wanted to take a moment to highlight what MEK is and the dynamics of that. But um, Armin, go ahead. Yeah, this is the most, um, so we're talking about the um, executions that happened in Iran by the government. This is one of the, the most ignored mass executions in modern history. Um, the numbers are very hard to come up, come by, but it's somewhere like the range of what it could be is so wide, but it could be between, um, I think, 4,000 to 30,000. Right, most people uh, usually cite the ones that are close to thirty thousand, but in just I don't know a very small amount of time, um, like most of it happening within the you know within a year or two, but these were mass executions without any due process, any court hearing, any access to lawyers, and it's just like. You know, mass uh, ex- executions that have happened like this in modern history have become major topics of, you know, uh, human rights violations and have gotten a lot of coverage. Um, and people know about them. Like people like refer to them constantly in, you know, when it comes to human rights violations. But this one, this one just didn't get the attention that it deserves, right? And so many people so many people died okay and i know like a lot of people you know so another thing is that oh yeah so the reason why susanna is mentioning gracie is because uh, this is now getting attention for two reasons one the new president of iran um was on the death council that's the actual name of it by the way that, uh, that Khomeini picked to carry out these executions, right? So he was one of the few members of the Deaf Council. So he was in directly, in re- the current president right now was directly responsible for these mass, mass executions in the 1980s. Um, and also, I, I think it's a coincidence that these two are happening at the same time. The new president and this guy now in, uh, where was it? What country is this that he's getting in Sweden? Sweden. 
-hmm. Yeah. So, so this guy was also in responsible for these mass for these executions, and now he's getting. This is the. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? This is the only, the first and only person that has ever faced um, legal consequences for like this is the first time ever anywhere in the world where this these mass executions in the 1980s is now being investigated and criminally you know somebody's being criminally charged for them for after On the so long stage yeah this is this is like new and that's why those mass executions in the 1980s are now getting a lot more attention right than uh, compared to before like this was like a lot of human rights activists were desperate for this uh, for one day this getting some sunlight right this this mass executions that just seemed like people just like mm -hmm. oh yeah we just we did like 30,000 people were mass executed in Iran over like two years or something and just like nobody knows about this no, like how many people in the life should even knew about this this is a major mass execution in history in modern history and people are just like oh yeah I don't know I didn't um, know about it before I see yeah I so no idea. <laughs> so now people are like fine like people like now that Raisi is the president people are like okay um, this is our chance. This is our chance to bring attention to this. And now this happened. So, so a lot of human rights activists are like, finally, like some attention. But yeah, you you wanted to mention something. Um. So to be clear, it is kind of a coincidence. He was first arrested for his involvement. He was arrested in Sweden in November 2019. Um. And technically, like I said, he's not officially named. Um, you know, it's just kind of like the press has figured out who they're referring to. Um, and so Racy is kind of, he was on this death panel, you know, and he was kind of one of these prosecutors. And so he is charged with being an assistant to the deputy prosecutor in one of these prisons. Um, and what I wanted to talk about was a large number of the people who were victims of these mass executions were members of a group that go by the initials MEK, like I was saying. And it's important to highlight the persecution of people from dissident groups in particular, because the MEK is a dissident group. It's like if Islam and communism had a baby so it's a horrible group <laughs> horrible ideology very and it is a radical group it is a group that has done attacks okay horrible attacks horrific crimes right that doesn't mean that every member who was a victim of the thought reform and cultic destructive ideology of this group committed those crimes but it's a similar situation that I was talking about with the Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia, where as the new Iranian regime was coming into power, trying to establish and secure its power after the Iranian revolution, they couldn't um, deal with any potential threats to their power, right? So they just went way overboard with taking out these people. And it's a huge, it's a massive abuse, regardless of the fact that the people in these groups may have had really bad destructive ideas, right? So I want to make that distinction very clear. And it, again, falls into the pattern of 
they served as a, and they still serve as a threat to the current regime because their ideology and belief and commitment to their ideology is so strong that they are not willing to or able to fall in line with the current authoritarian regime in any given leader, right? So they're persecuted very heavily. Um, but it's one of those instances where you have to be very careful in threading the needle of saying like, yes, these people are definitely victims in this case, 100%. That doesn't mean that we endorse what they believe in and it shouldn't be endorsed. So it's, it, it's very important to make that distinction. All right. So I, I just want to, for people who, you know, when you hear executions, people usually don't imagine what we mean. <clears throat> so this, so this, so the estimations were that the numbers exceeded uh, 30,000 people who were executed. Right. And the, the way that it was done, I'm just going to read this because of the large numbers, prisoners were loaded into uh, forklift trucks in groups of six and hanged from cranes in half hour intervals. So just nonstop trucks would come in like a, like a factory line. It was six at a time, six, you know, hang half an hour, every half an hour, nonstop. They were hanging six people at a time. So this was have and, and until they reached like thirty thousand. So that happened. Um, and by the way, remember that the way that Iran hangs people is not they don't drop them for the neck, neck to break, so they don't die right away. They lift them, so they die suffocating very slowly. It's one of it's a really bad way to go. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a great number of people who didn't even expire within that thirty minutes and had. It's it's one of the it's most one it's one of the most barbaric ways to execute people. Period. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I there are some people who chewed at their tongue uh, from pressure while they were being hung. Like you know, when you think about the Wild Wild West, they were the that's the mo that was the way that they killed people was extremely humane compared to what, how they do it now. Uh, in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Like when you watch movies in, in the wild, wild west, when people are getting hanged, you see a trap door behind them just open and they fall. They die immediately. They don't feel uh, pain. Unlike in Iran where they, you know, just like put the neck and put the uh, rope and just slowly lift you. I go, why? Why do you, like, are you guys sadistic? Like, why does this, guys, Clearly, this is why I'm telling you. Yeah. It's not even Islamic. Yeah. The Islamic Republic of Iran is worse than Islam. The way they do is the execution in Iran, people are like, oh my God, this is horrible. This is how what Islam gets you. This is actually worse than Islam because in Islam, executions are done with cutting, you know, with the sharp, uh, with the sharp sword with, by the cutting of the head. And it's supposed to be in one cut. Like you can't like, you know, it's not right if you have to do it in two, it has to be one cut. So that's like a, uh, the most, you know, not a painful way to go. Islamic Republic of Iran, they said, like, we're not going to do Islam the Islamic way. We're going to actually go more sadistic when it comes to our executions. Like, we're going, we want to make sure our people die slowly. So, well, it's yeah, also, yeah, it's, it's to cause terror among the public as well. 
to know that yes. it's as painful and barbaric as possible. It's a mechanism That's of control the and terror. Yes, you're right. Yeah. We can clap for the next news. But okay, but here's somebody who's saying stoning to death is far worse. Yeah, but that that doesn't happen as much. Like and stoning um, to death is a very specific prescription for very specific crimes. Yeah, and it's also yeah, but that like the numbers for that is as strong, like very low. But behead, you know, beheading is in Saudi Arabia happens, you know, often. Um, and hanging in Iran happens very often, very often. In fact, um, per capita, uh, Iran is the number one ca uh, country in the world when it comes to the number of executions, if you adjust for, for population. Mm -hmm. And if you don't adjust for population, uh, it's number two, China being yeah. number one. So, so number two in total numbers, even though they're not as populated as many other countries, uh, but number one per capita. So um when it comes to number of executions iran being number two in the world given that the way they carry out the executions that's like imagine just how many people are just being tortured to death anyways um okay wait was this the non-religious news yes yes yeah, so secular rarity was right all right i don't know how you did it. um okay so you said we can clap for the next yes Next news. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> Next news. Biden to nominate first Muslim religious freedom ambassador. On July 30th, the Biden administration announced its intent to fill the leadership roles in the Religious Affairs Committee. According to the White House, the positions will be under the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which is within the U.S. State Department. And also one of my favorite things about the U.S. State Department is Yusrif. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> Rashad Hussein, an Indian American Muslim, will be the first Muslim to hold the ambassador at large role in the U.S. Uh, US International Religious Affairs Commission if the Senate approves his appointment. Hussein is a Hafiz, who is a person who has memorized the Quran and has held similar positions during the Obama administration. For example, in 2010, he was the special envoy uh, representing the U.S. to the Organization of the Islamic Conference. So I wanted to cover this news just because I thought it was very interesting. It's significant. And um, honestly, I think this is pretty cool. People might disagree with me, but I am proud that my country nominates religious minorities to such authoritative and stigmatized religious minorities to such authoritative positions. Um, I think I'm speculating from, you know, an Indian Muslim background. He is probably more familiar with the reality of what religious minorities have to go through across the world and perhaps may have more insight into these um, types of issues than other people. Um, but maybe that is um, controversial for some people. And AGA is bringing up what I also kind of love about this is she's saying, oh, I can just hear the Christian right saying, quote, he's bringing the Sharia. <laughs> um, and um, 
I I thought it was I don't know I I liked this. What do you think, Armin? What is his job description? What he's supposed to do? He's the ambassador at large um, to the U.S. International Religious Affairs Commission. So he is kind of one of our largest spokespeople on the international stage, advocating for the issues of religious freedom, which is really belief-based freedom. You know, Re though it's, religious it freedom religious or Muslim freedom. religious freedom. Religious freedom. It says in first. Oh, okay. He's just so the for first everybody. Muslim to hold this position. Mm -hmm. Oh. Previously, okay. he had positions Wait. that were more specific to Islamic issues, but now this is overall. Would he fight for atheists as well? I don't know, but that is within the purview of his work. Okay. He's supposed to. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're, uh, um, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is a good job to. I, I'm glad if that if that's what his role is to fight for people who are being discriminated against. This is a good. I'm glad that this job exists. I just hope that this is a job that is supposed to be fighting against discrimination, not a job that is supposed to be fighting for privilege. Right? I mean, I, I'm gonna yes. be positive about it i'm hoping like that's that's what it is um you know i it would be very cool if you could see a muslim an indian muslim american fighting for against a anti against atheist discrimination that would be the most based <laughs> that would be the most awesome yes, thing right? that would be like i yeah actually that would be Amazing. Can we keep an so, eye on this guy and see uh -huh. if you will ever do that? Because that would be the most based news segment <laughs> ever. Indian American Muslim ambassador for religious freedom fights against anti-atheist discrimination in America. I want so, that title. I want that. I want that news title. Make it happen. Come on. What's this guy's name? <laughs> What is this guy's um, his name? His name is Rashad Hussein. Rashad, come on, Rashad. I know. Come on, Rashad. Come on. <laughs> come on, Rashad. <laughs> Please make it happen. Um, Go on. So I also just wanted to talk a little about this because, like I said, I'm a huge nerd for Yusrif. Okay. Like, I'm I'm a simp for Yusrif. <laughs> so the Yusrif stands for the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. And it is a function within the State Department. So they don't have um, direct power, but they are a body that studies statistically, they produce reports, and they study the issue of um, in religious freedom violations across the world. And so oftentimes you'll see news reports where they put out, um, this country fell down the list on international freedom. This country was added to the list. Like um, That's part of what USRIF does. Um, they also commission people to create reports on statistics. So, for example, they USRIF produced a 2020 blasphemy report where they studied in great detail the issue of blasphemy and free expression violations across the world. Where wow, um, I read the entire report because I and I use that as a basis for the data that I bring to you guys. Right? They include atheists in that report. Um, they 
they cover it's called religious freedom when really it is belief based freedom okay they do cover atheists or non-believers within the purview of their work um yeah that naming that needs to clear. change because they they do operate for like not non-religious people as well and they are like for free speech and against blasphemy laws right so mm -hmm. i mean this I mean, a lot of people say religious freedom includes re freedom from religion as well. So maybe, yes. maybe, yeah, go on. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so they're involved with making policy recommendations to the U.S. State Department in terms of their bilateral international um, relationships with various countries that may or may not be involved with violations of international conventions um, around, surrounding, you know, freedom of belief. Um and I love Yusrif because they actually do a lot to advocate for persecuted people across the world, including atheists. So they have oftentimes um, put out statements regarding Mubarak Bala, who is um, currently illegally detained Nigerian atheist activist who was the president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria. Um um, I've even seen one woman who, I can't remember her role, but I remember her seeing her speak as a representative of Yusuf, even tweeting about that she was aware of what Zara Kay, our friend Zara Kay, was going through in Tanzania. I remember her tweeting, we are aware of the case of Zara Kay, you know, this the atheist ex-Muslim activist, you know. So they are involved in atheist issues. Um, they, I have heard that they um, may be involved or tried to be involved with fighting for the freedom of um, Junaid Hafiz, who is um, persecuted for um, blasphemy in Pakistan, for example. Um, so they do really, really amazing work. And... Um, during the previous administration, the Trump administration, it was, I believe, Senator Brownback who was appointed to this, Sam, yeah, Sam Brownback, who was appointed to this position. And I saw him getting involved in issues surrounding non-belief as well. You know, and this is a Trump appointee. Um, so it's definitely within, we're, we are not excluded from the purview of this branch of the U.S. government. All right. See, okay. Seems like some people are confused. Uh, Mercy is saying, Mercy, you're not listening. Mercy is saying, why is uh, policy, uh, wait, that is supposed to, policy, that is supposed to be secular uh, fighting for specific religious right? I don't understand this. What, do you, what are you talking about? Can you explain this? Wait, this is well, not about any. Yeah, go Well, let me. This is, no, this is the question. However, why is it a policy that is supposed to be secular fighting for specific religious rights within the policy? It's, it's not. You're confused. There are international covenants surrounding people's free expression of their belief. Internationally. Yeah. Most countries are signees of some degree or some version of these international standards. There are many covenants. And so it is about telling the state department about when different countries are violating their agreements, right? It's not that they are fighting for religious privilege. Okay. They are fighting for countries or reporting on countries violations of their, um, of their, what they agreed to. They are publishing information, statistics, um, videos, conferences, um, 
about when people's rights, not privileges, are being abused or um, so, disallowed. What, what about people who are concerned that uh, this man, because he's a Muslim, he's not going to be uh, fair or balanced, um, you know, uh, in, well, in, in, yeah? I think it is bigoted to assume that until we see evidence yeah. otherwise. Yeah, and, and I would say that then you can't have anybody there <laughs> because if you put an atheist there, they might be biased towards atheists. And maybe uh, if you want to assume that, an atheist in that position could not be fair towards Muslims, <laughs> right? If you want to assume that based on someone's uh, personal beliefs, right? So that's what I would say. Um, Secular yeah. Rarity has so, a good comment. They're saying mm -hmm. secular is not is not giving wait is about not giving extra rights or demonizing specifically because of religion which means if countries are discriminating because of religion they are in violation of what the u.s state department is set up to do or they're in violation of their international covenants and usrif is there to inform our government about these violations um they put out really amazing work what are the chances of some no, there's not, they're not following it. But I was wondering if we could collect some Hindus for butthurt over this. But this is Oh too... my gosh. <laughs> well, he still needs to be approved by the Senate to this appointment. Oh. Um, so it's going to get a lot more news. I would be interested to see if there is any contention amongst the Christian right about this when that comes up. Um, but should he actually succeed in being appointed, I would love to see the Hindu for butthurt. Yeah, but this might fly under the radar because I don't know if they're going to notice this, but we'll see. Um, would be fun, though, to just collect some by her. Um, okay. <laughs> we collect the salt. We're salt collectors. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Can we, is there anything you want to highlight before we go to the next news? Um, nothing except secular rarity is saying, right, Susanna. I love when I'm told that I'm right. <laughs> Usriff <laughs> is designed to focus on that specifically, and it's awesome he's been nominated. Yeah. I think nice. I'm going to brag on my country because I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be careful, though. Um, Not to play identity you know, politics. Yeah, because we don't want to assume that we don't want to give in to people who assume he's going to be bad at his job because he's Muslim. But we don't want to also assume that he's going to be <laughs> great at it because he's a Muslim either, right? We're just... Uh, celebrating the fact that um, it, it didn't have, you know, it wasn't, it didn't hold him back for getting that position. That's what we're celebrating. But I, but we, if he, if he's yeah, if he, if he sucks at his job, then he sucks at his job independently from his personal belief, right? Like we could criticize him, and if he if he does well, we could also highlight that as well. But yeah, go on. Well, I want to be very clear. I am celebrating this um, intent to this appointment because I think it reflects something that I think is too rare in this world. I think it is demonstrating that America is a country, one of the rare countries where we would appoint a stigmatized religious minority to a position of this power. And I think that's awesome. And that's something I love that about my country and the values of some of the people in this country. I'm not going to claim all because it's clearly not the case, but. How about yeah. that? Let's hope. Good. Let's hope that it progresses enough to the point where atheists enjoy 
that level of accept, uh, meaning being accepted as well. Open um, the atheist too. Open the atheist, of course. Um, all right, can we uh, clap for the next news? Um, we're gonna clap because we're gonna dunk on the Catholic Church. Next news. Next news. Catholic Church misused funds intended for residential school survivors. So I'm thinking of starting a new segment called I Didn't Know the Catholic Church Could Get Worse. <laughs> or I Didn't Know I, I, did, I Could I did. Dislike It More. <laughs> and this <laughs> falls under that purview. Okay. So let's get into this. Um, in 2005... The churches that ran and managed the residential schools on behalf of the Canadian government were poised to pay reparations to the indigenous survivors of the residential school institutions. The Catholic Church remained elusive in fulfilling its legal and moral obligation. The church decided that it would be administratively more manageable to respond to the court's demand for reparations by creating a corporate entity. A total of 47 different Catholic churches came together to make the Corporate Catholic Defendants. That's the name of that corporate entity. The purpose was to handle the delivery of some $29 million in cash reparations, $25 million in in-kind services, and another $25 million in cash from fundraisers to the organizations working with residential school survivors. In a 53-page summary from the court records was prepared by Anne um, McConville and Al uh, Alexander Gray, both federal lawyers. The summary insisted that the Catholic Church has, quote, breached its obligations in the Indian Residential Schools Settlement Agreement. The Catholic Church purposefully used the money for the residential school survivors to spend beyond their intended allocation. A total of $5 million were spent on legal and administrative fees, with a separate $8 million deducted for legal fees even before the 2005 ruling. Um, so I wanted to highlight this story because, as many of you guys are aware, there have been um, kind of a moral reckoning going on in Canada as different um, properties that were residential schools where indigenous children were separated from their families and basically stripped of their native culture and language. Um, those properties have been found to have hundreds um, across just two properties. There were over a thousand bodies in unmarked graves. And, you know, this has caused an uproar in Canada. And it's also caused a lot of people to re-examine how the Catholic Church has been operating operating in Canada. And so the news of um, this misuse of this whole program and funds um, from the Catholic Church is actually a little bit older. Like a lot of these documents came forth from a 2015 case, but because of this revelation, this horrible, shocking revelation of all these unmarked graves across these different properties, it's kind of brought this back up to the surface. And so I wanted to talk about this again. Um, yeah, Armin? Yeah, I mean, this is great news. Just keep destroying yourself, the Catholic Church. Just want you to be the least popular or 
religious organization. Yeah, I mean, this this is what they deserve. This needs this stuff needs to be highlighted more. But I mean, they're still not paying the price for it. Like this, this organization needs to be banned. Like just, just shut it down. Shut it down already. Like what the hell? Like why? What does it? What does it have to happen for this to become like an illegal, mm-hmm. you know, criminal organization that is just like, you know, internationally just like, you know, it's not. This is not just about you know people. We we talk about not banning religions and not telling people forcing beliefs and stuff this is not about beliefs anymore right this is this is a criminal organization this is not about like when like this needs this whole system needs to be shut down not because people are not free to believe what they want to believe and people want to practice their religions this is a criminal organization that is just like laundering money to just protect criminals around the world you know, any other organization with this level of criminal background would have been like, you know, shut down by now. There would be like, all these people would be in handcuffs. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, Australia is taking the lead, so that's good, nice. But I am, and there, there's a lot more. Like, I, I'm just hoping that if there's, if more people keep seeing this, and there's popular demand for being anti the Catholic Church. More government, more politicians will try to appeal to their populations by taking actions against, you know, this church. But yeah, hopefully, I don't know. How much more time do you think the church has? How many more years? I'm saying. <laughs> That's tough. I mean, you were talking about trying to take down literally the oldest institution in the West. Hmm. I Is mean, it? you couldn't have like a bigger, yeah. Like it's like Goliath. Ironically, like they are Goliath. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the oldest means that this time already. Hmm? But yeah, this they need to go. They need to go. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Shut it down. Shut it down. What did Voltaire say? Crush the whole th- the Lotham thing. He Something had a phrase. Like yeah, yeah, about the Catholic right. Church. Yeah, crush the Lotham thing. Yeah. yeah so I just do it. Yeah, um, wanted to give a shout out to CBC News because, um, which is a Canadian uh, news source, because it was through the work of these journalists at CBC News that these documents involved with this 2015 case were actually like brought forward and publicized to the degree that they were. Um, I mean, there were just so many shady things, like a lot of unexplainable invoices um wait let me find a small segment um the 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 so the summary of these um these legal documents insisted that the catholic church has quote breached its obligations in the indian residential schools settlement agreement the catholic church purposefully used the money for the residential school survivors to spend beyond their intended allocation a total of five million were spent on legal. And, oh, I already said that. Okay, what have I not said? Blah, blah, blah. Another one point six million was spent on unexplainable invoices. The Catholic Church also paid to properly account for the two, twenty-five million of in-kind services using only the minutes of meetings, unable to find a basis for the actual value of the services. So they kind of just get to say that they provided twenty-five million dollars of these services. Um. The $25 million fundraising campaign was also questionably run with donations that come with unsurprising caveats. 
quote, someone will pay $50,000 and say, well, 40,000 of this has to be distributed back to this project, according to the accountant who testified against the Catholic Church. Um, Mary Ellen Turpel Lafond, former court judge and director of the Indian Residential School History and Dialogue Center in the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, called the Catholic Church's actions, quote, unbelievably, absolutely gross. It is completely wrong. The Crown Indigenous Relations Minister is calling it an inexcusable act. So, um, I do really appreciate and shouts out to a lot of people in the Canadian government who are taking this as seriously as they, they're, as they're taking it. Um, I am loving how strong of language they're using towards such a historic and powerful organization that used to be granted such impunity um, to commit cultural genocide and, and allowed to and uh, encouraged to by the Canadian government. Um, I think um, I can't speak for everyone involved in the federal government, but I, I appreciate that there is a very strong push to not back down and to call out these organizations in every way, you know, that they are abusive. Um, I, I love I love that attitude. Yeah, I like how in Canada this anti-Catholic attitude by the government is becoming more and more popular. Yeah, we this is one thing. Anti-Catholic church. Anti-Catholic church. Yes. No, I was like, I saw the speech from Justin Trudeau, and I was like, it's pretty base mm -hmm. actually. It was pretty aggressive. Yes. <laughs> he was talking about I like, like criminal charges. I was like, oh my god, you're making my heart a flutter. <laughs> no, I like seeing a word like world leader from like one of the m major countries in the world like it's kind of like is we we got macron speaking about not letting you know the country get islamized and then we got trudeau talking about the catholic church of like okay keep like i want more of this <laughs> can you have more of this thank you very much yeah, yeah. They both have their flaws. Let's be clear. Like we come after yes, Trudeau hard for a lot of stuff, but I'm no, but I like yeah, this. but that was I like this a lot. Yeah, yeah, but that was pretty base. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was yes, yeah, and yeah. By the way, I see some people in the live chat uh, defending Trump, which was like a what? Pro, Where's that you know, coming from? I don't know. I don't know what does that got to do with anything. I don't know why they're discussing that. But I just want to use the opportunity to mention how how what big of a disaster that guy was when it comes to promoting religion. Um, <laughs> so I'm you know I'm hoping that that is being reversed uh, in the United States. But now in Canada, this is good. We're moving in the right direction. So good. All right. So I'm gonna bring up the next news. <laughs> Secular radio saying next time Susanna is having a bad day, someone send her a news story about how anti Catholic Church the Canadian government is. Yeah. True. <laughs> yes. No, I'm I'm hoping to get rewarded with this. I'm hoping like people will like you know it, it. It even if you don't like the politicians when they do something you like, like you encourage reward it. them reward them with like you know they need to see that there's a political capital in being anti you know. Catholic or re religious privilege, 
you know, again, we are we're consistent here. Okay, we're against religious discrimination, uh, but we're also against religious privilege, especially when they get away with crimes, right? Anyways, um, damn straight. Yeah. All right. We can clap for the next news. Yeah. Okay. Next news. Next news. China and Tibet fight to control the Dalai Lama's next reincarnation in Tibet. Well, technically not Tibet. Anyways, on July 6th, the current Dalai Lama, Tenzin Gyatso, turned 86. As the Dalai Lama grows older, the political pressure surrounding his succession has mounted. He will either name a successor or leave the world behind, especially Tibet, more vulnerable to China's aggression. The fight for the next Dalai Lama has expanded far beyond the spiritual boundaries of Buddhism. It has evolved from a mere religious tradition to a global geopolitical struggle, with powerful nations competing for control over the next reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. For example, the U.S. and India have been working together, creating a surveillance network around Tenzin Gyatso. In 2020, the U.S. updated its policies on Tibet, announcing that Tibet can select the, the next Dalai Lama without interference from other nations. Beijing vehemently opposed this move from the U.S. So I think this is something that's very important to talk about. Um, I feel like over the past few decades, the Tibetan struggle or the struggle to free Tibet from China's authoritarian influence and ongoing cultural genocide project has um, diminished. I don't hear as much attention about it. Um, and I think it's very interesting to think about what's at play here. Um, kind of a theme for what we've been talking about today in other segments is... Um, authoritarian states or leaders' interest in controlling groups that have allegiances outside of their state and their narrative and their authority and, you know, um, suppressing any dissent and trying to mandate loyalty to their rule. And Tibet is a very good example of this. For example, in the Tibetan region, it's forbidden to have pictures of the Dalai Lama um, because this is a group that is deeply committed to their cultural identity. And part of their cultural identity is a loyalty and reverence to this figure that directly challenges the interests and authorities of the Communist Party of China. And, as you know, the Dalai Lama is healthy now. He had a cancer scare a few years ago. Um, but this is going to become increasingly more important as he ages. Um, and, well, before I go any further, Armin, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I just have a question. Is there a chance that we're going to have two Lamas? Two Dalai Lamas? Two Dalis? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we have we're gonna have a Chinese selected Dalai Lama and a Tibetan Dalai Lama. Wait, th this is actually government authorities deciding who is going to be whose soul is going to be transferred from this guy to the next. Like yes. the next Dalai Lama is the reincarnation of this guy that we're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. 
and or so we're talking about we're talking yeah so yeah of course but um we're basically talking about government officials deciding who is has authority to decide which body the soul of this man has gone to after he died. Wait, wait, the next Dalai Lama is going to be a baby, right? Like it's not going to be a grown man. Or so. Like when they pick a Dalai Lama, it's going to be like a, is it a newborn baby or is it like a fetus? Like, because. No, it's usually it's, a newborn. Okay. So they're going to, so can the Chinese government like um, answer questions? Like how do they, what tools they have to evaluate? Like what measuring techniques, what, how do they validate um, whose soul? How, how you know? Do they have a soul detector? And how do they? How can they? How do they identify if this person's soul is in the baby? Like what measuring techniques do they have? Is it falsifiable? Can other scientists come and validate it? Like how does this? How does this done? Like when they're like, oh, this is the baby that is the Dalai Lama. How do they identify that? How do they know that this is a reincarnation of the Dalai Lama? Is there do 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 souls have like a DNA like a soul DNA that they could they, they measure the, the level of Buddha? I mean the Dalai Lama is like supposed to be a reincarnation of a, of the Buddha, right? Um I am not sure about because Tibetan Buddhism is very distinct. I don't know if what? um that's actually a good question. I don't know if it's directly the Buddha so much as a um, you know, the soul of another guru kind of um in the Basically. path of how Jains work or Jainism works. Um, I don't know how the Chinese government will go about, you know, saying that they have found the correct um, Dalai Lama, but the moral of the story is that they have an interest in finding whoever that they can control and whoever who will adopt their, um, the state line, the party line. Right. So I know, so what I do know is that there's not just one, Lama, like Dalai Lama is the highest Lama, but there are many other kinds of Lamas. And there are many other instances of the Chinese government already appointing these secondary or tertiary levels of Lamas and profiles of these state appointed Lamas and what they're like and how they're different. Um, the general process of establishing the next Lama, any Lama can take years um, it involves many superstitious traditions, such as maybe while the llama is being burned on the funeral pyre, what direction the smoke goes will um, help tell the other, you know, high-level monk officials which direction to go look. And then I believe um, one of the methods to establish who is the correct incarnation is... Um, they will find a baby through whatever direction that they happen to go look for the correct baby. And they will present the baby a variety of objects. And some of these objects will be belongings of the previous llama. And then if the baby gravitates towards or quote unquote recognizes the possessions from his quote unquote past life, then that is how the traditional Tibetan um, Tibetans establish who the next Lama is. Um, it's a very interesting process. In fact, the Associated Press put out a um, they put out a profile recently of a lower level Lama 
who's actually like living out in Minnesota. So, or somewhere in the Midwest in the U.S. He's a 14-year-old American teenager. and But he's also being raised to be a llama. And he went through, halfway across the world, this process to identify himself as a reincarnation. But that at the same time, he likes to listen to Drake. He's a fan of the Atlanta Falcons. But he's still in... He's 14 years old and he goes to school with everyone else, but you know, he has a shaved head and he spends the rest of his time memorizing Buddhist scripture and mantras and his traditions, um, which is extremely important given the concerted effort to completely eradicate the um, traditional Tibetan culture and completely um, uh, homogenize them into an ethnic Chinese Han um, uh assimilate them into that kind of identity you know uh he, he learn his traditional language as well that's very important because that's also trying to be eradicated um so it's a very complicated process um i'm not sure exactly how the chinese government picks you know who they think is the next llama and how they try to legitimize that um but obviously ultimately it's over who they can control and who will obey them make the babies fight <laughs> Shut up. Make the Shut Chinese. <laughs> I can't stand make the... <laughs> make the Tibetan <laughs> picks baby and the Chinese picks one. Just fine. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> Stream it live. <laughs> Armin, do you know who um Hezbollah is? Not not Hezbollah, but do you know who Hezbollah is? No. Okay, he is um Who's a 18-year-old uh Dagestani Russian man who has a, a growth deficit, so he looks like a permanent baby. And he recently had a fight with a another man who has the same disorder from Tajikistan, and so it looks legitimately like two babies fighting. <laughs> Hospital, he's like a he's like a celebrity. Anyways, so that's exactly what I imagined. People who know, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, is there a better way? I don't know. Everything, everything else is just like guesswork. If you're the real Dalai Lama, you will have some powers in your in your favor, right? Oh my gosh. Um. Oh, so you liberal win. Hindu answered. Our question um so he is considered a living bodhisattva specifically an emanation of oh this is an intimidating word uh avalokitsarva wait so that means he is a reincarnation Sarva. of buddha just 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 you know just test the soul for bunny dna the, the buddha was a bunny at some point did you know that no one of it yeah, the Buddha one one of his reincarnation in his life was you know at some point in his life he was a bunny. Just let Whoa. you know if 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 baby fighting is too hard, just let just see which one of them likes carrots more. I don't know, or oh just yeah because yeah. <laughs> in the corner, weighing ten pounds and eleven ounces. <laughs> in the pedial light, in the pedial light I mean, weight category. <laughs> 
this is but but guys what's actually happening is not more ridiculous like we're talking about the most powerful <laughs> one of the most powerful states in the whole world decided like finding a baby <laughs> to see like this baby is the reincarnation of the not that baby because like it's amazing it's just like it's so amazing like i it, I don't know if this is like the real world, but apparently this is what we're dealing with. Well, like the fact that the fact that borders and uh, separatist movements and um, authoritarianism and government control over regions um, of you know the, the second most powerful country in the world, second largest economy in the world, um, could be destabilized. Uh, as there's a threat to it based on these people and from Tibet picking this baby as a reincarnation of some guy who's dying and this government wanting to be like, no, this baby is the reincarnation of the, like the fact that th it comes down to this, it just seems like this would be, you know, it, it's just amazing that we're living in that world. You know what I mean? Like from all the worlds that we're living in, the fact that this is the world that we're in, that this is actually a real thing. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, when you, know, is this really when you happening? look at like it objectively from that purview, like it is seems very like silly and superstitious and ridiculous. But it's also yeah. one of the most serious things in the world because it's one of the longest ongoing like cultural genocidal projects yeah. like in modern history. And it's the what's at stake is the identity of you know an entire ethnic group and their traditional way of life and um obviously you know a decades-long authoritarian project to deprive people of their religious freedom you know so yeah i know but i'm just saying it's amazing that this is how this is where we are right now this is what like, it comes I'm down just, to i'm just i'm just noticing that this is the this is our world now right like this is currently our world and i'm just like i'm not i'm not you know i'm just looking at it with amazement that's all I did think it was kind of interesting that the U.S. made sure to update its policies that in Tibet can select, you know, the next Dalai Lama. That kind of surprised me. I I don't know by what, how so, much our authority on this, like, even matters, but it, the support helps, probably helps. Yes, you get to pick your Dalai Lama. Only if you're a good boy. If you're not, we'll pick it. Well, the Dalai Lama was actually speculating that he may come back as a woman. Which is kind of, it's a little, that's a kind of like, that was very controversial. Okay, actually, this is very interesting. Okay, when the Dalai Lama said that he might come back as a woman, do you think he was trying to be progressive? Or that was his dream? <laughs> or that's, or that's how some of his, like, you know, maybe that was like something that maybe he needs to tell us something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was like it would have been nice if I was like maybe a woman next time <laughs> I mean I could get into that I think yeah. most people are probably curious about what life on the other side is like <laughs> no, yeah anyways or maybe he was just trying to be like it would be amazing if like they both pick a baby girl then just so that they were like look this is like oh wow Imagine if the Chinese government and also Tibetan officials, they're like, both come up with baby girls as the next Dalai Lama. And they didn't suspect the other side would be doing this. Like, 
Yeah, we were both <laughs> shock each other. Like, ours is correct because it's a baby girl, and that's what the Dalai Lama said. Like, haha, ours is also a baby girl. <laughs> That'd be so funny. They're like trying yeah, to out progressive like each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Actually, the most amazing thing would be if the next Dalai Lama was a baby boy. Okay, and. They say like, oh, the Dalai, oh, the Dalai Lama was wrong, and then ends up being trans. So the Dalai Lama was right, but not in the way that Whoa. people, not in the way people thought that he was. I'm into this. <laughs> That's freaking cool. Yeah, this should be a movie. You're a genius. <laughs> All right. Um, Anything we need to highlight before we go? Uh, no. Okay, cool. Um, can we clap for the next news? Yes. Next news. Next news. God Tribe, new digital platform to protect men from being called racist. <laughs> you heard it here <laughs> first, boys. <What? laughs> so I, I, I'm confused. Um, on July 22nd, in an episode of True News, which is a far-right news program, Pastor Rick Wiles announced his plans of producing a new social media platform. He calls his new platform God Tribe, describing it as a, quote, social media educational digital platform. The goal of the latest social media platform is to provide a safe refuge for young men, protecting them from being labeled as feminine and for being criticized as racist. Wiles said that in his time, people did not have to ask what their gender is. Quote, it's very obvious, okay? <laughs> Aside from his anti-LGBTQ tirade, he also mentioned, quote, anti-Christ forces that have been undermining American society, calling God tribe the antidote. So this is hilarious. Um, this was kind of, you know, another segment of this week in uh, Christian far-right nonsense. Um, there is so much that this guy believes and says that if you are curious about it, you should go check out the article on our site, link in the description, because we literally cannot talk about some of the things he claims or believes on YouTube. Um, so I will talk about, you know, the the light positions. Um, such as, you know, uh, men are being feminized and um, they can't do, and you know, white men can't do anything nowadays without being called racist and they need a safe space. They didn't, he didn't, they didn't, he didn't call it a safe space, but I find it so freaking ironic that the result of his efforts is a safe space for these people. And, um, you know, he... He's, you know, trying to create, you know, a, a digital campfire, so to speak. And when asked about it, people were like, well, what about Clubhouse? You know, Clubhouse has taken off in popularity. And he was like, well, we're not Clubhouse because their servers are in China and they're tracking everything that they that you do there and all this stuff. And it's like, that's not true. Um, and, you know, he's trying to create. Um, a, Wait, a is it not true? Christian they always no. track everything. Social but, media. I the, the servers of Clubhouse are not in China. Oh, okay, that part. 
But the yeah. checking part, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Um, so, um, I just think it's very ironic that you know, in his attempt to protect, you know, men of his ilk from from the criticism of others, he has essentially created a safe space. <laughs> Why is this okay? Um, this is almost guaranteed to be a magnet for the, the most racist people ever. Like, I don't even have to go there to be able to, to be like, oh yeah, like this is going to be a place for racist people who don't want to be called racist. That's what it's called. This was going to be right. And, and I think like, the, the, yeah, he's extremely anti-trans. Like, so I can only imagine yeah. how bad it gets. Yeah. And what, I mean, what are they going to do there? They're just going to be like, it's just going to be a cesspool of posts about the most vile, bigoted things imaginable. It's going to be so disgusting that, you know, just one peek in there is just going to make you want to puke. That's how bad it's going to be. Like, it's going to be so racist that, and they're going to, and anybody looking will be like, oh my God, these people are actually racist. And they're like, see, this is why we need this place because they are actually, <laughs> they, are, they, are they are accurately describing us. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you don't even have to try. If you say, like, this is going to be a place for people who don't want to be called X, you're going to get a whole bunch of Xs there. <laughs> that's what, mm -hmm. that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Right. Um. So, it was really funny to me at the bottom of this article, um, filled with you know all these crazy um claims that this guy makes. Uh, our writer left a note and he uh, told me this in, in a message too. Is basically he gives a warning to anyone who reads this article to not go to True News, which is you know this pastor's like current home. Um, because it will uh, kill your brain cells. And out of curiosity, I went to uh, True News myself, and I can confirm that he was right. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, yeah, I should, I should know kind of what the vibe is if we're going to be talking about this guy. And then I was like, I can't even talk. I can't say aloud on YouTube like ninety percent of what's on this website. Holy cow! <laughs> A lot of fear-mongering of Christian persecution and but of I can't even say why I can't I can't even I can't it's I can't even say is this supposed to be a, a social media platform yes hmm. God I don't think is. a lot of people I don't think people understand what it takes to like how difficult it is to pull off a social like a lot of people like let's mm -hmm. start a social media platform like Okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's not. You can't just like do yeah. I mean, look at what Trump tried to do. Trump, had, Trump tried to make a social media platform. It ended up being, just just being a mini blog. Um, it was so embarrassing. But I don't know. Maybe this guy will have more success. Maybe there's a demand for a racist social media platform. I mean, at some I mean, point, if it gets real, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, I mean, at some point, like, where, where what servers are he, is he going to use? Like, at some point, if it gets so bad and dangerous, uh, like, he, 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 will, he it might get completely cut. Like, you can't, like, this is going to be the most vile social media platform ever. And if you're, you're either not going to be successful with it because you didn't know what it takes to actually have a social media platform, which is more difficult than people think, or if it actually somehow becomes successful, then it becomes successful enough to get enough attention for the people who are providing, you know, doing processing your transactions or the people who are hosting your website to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to actually cut this off now. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. I mean, have they thought about the long-term effects of what they're doing? Because, or maybe they're not even, maybe they're just looking to making a short-term return on it and they don't care about the long-term ramifications. Maybe that's, that's it as well. I don't know. Or maybe they're not even thinking. That's also yeah. a possibility. But go on. I mean, um, a lot of people don't realize how much, how just freaking expensive it is to do a social media platform. Um, also, I think it's really funny that there, I mean, I can't even, there are so many recent renditions of these right wing free speech, supposedly social media platforms that um, start out with this, you know, grand crusade for you know so-called free speech but then very quickly realize that there are a lot of legal consequences to that and the longer that they continue they become exactly what they were created to supposedly fight against because like i said there are legal consequences for hosting just any particular um content we saw that with parlor um if you just allow anything you can be implicated in inciting violence, for example. Um, so it's really tricky line to thread, needle to thread. And I just think it's hilarious that um, their, you know, mission statement basically never succeeds because it's just completely impractical. Impractical. You have to enforce community standards at some point. You have to enforce terms and conditions at some point. You can't just like run wild. It's not going to work. Yeah, are you going to allow? I'm not even going to say it, but just, I, I think yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about. Like if, mm -hmm. yeah, you can't, yeah. That's the best Some way to get blank fully. Kids. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking because I know what's good for our channel. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Secular rarity is saying, turns out this crap is more complicated, just like that a-hole that sold his quote unquote freedom phone. Yeah. Mm. That was hilarious, by the way. I love laughing at a good right-wing grift. Yeah. All right. Can we clap for the next news? Yes. Next news. Next news. Christian designer who won't make same-sex wedding websites loses case. On July 26th, the U.S. Court of Appeals held the lower court's decision to deny a web designer's petition to discriminate against the LGBTQ plus community in Colorado. The owner of a web designing business, Lori Smith, contested the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, or CADA for short, um, by filing suit, alleging that it is her right to deny LGBTQ couples service to design a wedding website for them. 
she stated that she is, quote, willing to work with all people regardless of sexual orientation. But she adds that her religious beliefs compel her to exclude anything to do with same-sex weddings. Denver's Court of Appeals rejected Smith's request for a pre-enforcement ruling that would allow her to provide services that hinge on a client's identity as she prepares to broaden her business by offering websites detailing nuptial celebrations. Alliance Defending Freedom, a law firm exclusive to cases of quote-unquote religious freedom, argues that Smith's Christian beliefs would be violated if her business is forced to comply with existing anti-discrimination laws. Hmm. Um, hmm. So is this kind of like more like the kind of discrimination where you're supposed to serve everybody regardless of their identity? Yeah, because this is, I think like I have, um, I think I'm, I'm becoming more accepting at considering this discrimination against LGBT people because I, you know, I used to think like, you know, you shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't, the government shouldn't be able to force you to say certain things, even if there is, you know, do express certain things. Like for example, if you are baking a cake, if you're baking a cake for, uh, straight couples, you should be able to. You should be, make be able to bake the same cake for. Okay, think. I'm not actually sure what I think about this. Okay, so I used to think like if you make a, if you if your business is that you bake cakes, if a straight couple comes and asks for a baked cake, and a gay couple comes ask for a cake, then if you don't make a gay cake for the gay couple, then that's discrimination and that should be illegal, okay? Because it's the same service and you're denying it to a certain group of people because of their biological identity, okay? Um, however, if then the, the people ask you to write on the cake that, you know, happy gay wedding, right? Then, then you are asking them to say something that goes against their belief, right? And that is... Um, demanding them to do something uh, that is that express demanding them to express an opinion that it doesn't represent them might be going a bit too far. As long as if the service is the same, if you deny it to one group of people, um, is discrimination. And then, if, if, but if you're asking an artist or a cake designer, um, or like somebody that prints pamphlets to say something now. That is, you can't force them to say that some that thing, but I don't know if that is fair now because if you write on a cake something, that's not you saying it, right? That's them saying it, right? And it's also not fair to compare it to, like, okay, then what if you're an atheist and somebody Christian comes and says like, print pamphlets for our church, and you're like, but I'm an atheist, I don't want to promote your bullcrap, right? You should be able to say that. You should be like, as an atheist, I don't want to promote um, your church's bullcrap, so you can't force me to do, to uh, print these. Is that anti-Christian discrimination? Uh, that's not a fair comparison because Christianity is an ideology, right? Um, so not and being gay is not an ideology. That's discrimination based on people's biological identity, right? Um, 
So I think like maybe I'm now okay with also considering it discrimination, even if somebody says like make a cake that says, you know, yay, we're gay and happy. And if you don't write that, if the, if your job is to design cakes, then you're discriminating. I think I'm okay with like, somebody saying that, right, you know, Allah is the greatest, right? And if you say, I don't want to write that, that's okay, because that's an expression of an ideology, right? But if you say, I don't want to write that because I don't, I'm against, you know, gay marriage, then that's discrimination against someone's biological identity. That's, that is discrimination. So one of them is not discrimination, the other one isn't, right? So I'm trying to figure out, but like make, like making a, and again, you're saying like, but I don't want to say this because this is not my belief. That's not you saying it. You're designing it for somebody else who's saying it. So I think the excuse that this is not my belief, so I don't want to say it. No, you're, you're like, if I print your pamphlets that says something on it, that's not my expression. I'm just helping you express something. Like I'm just printing what you're saying. Okay. So I think that's not a fair um, defense. So designing a website is also the same thing, right? Designing a website, you're not saying it, right? You're just somebody else is saying it. So this can't be like, oh, this goes against my view, so I don't want to say it. Well, you're not saying it. Your job is to design websites. If you're not designing their website, you're discriminating against them because you're against these group of people, right? So you can't say this goes against my views, so I don't want to say it because th th it's them saying it. Does that make sense? Are you, that are you, what do you sense. think? Okay, okay. Um, so the cake is like kind of different with the original, very controversial um, baker refusing to make a gay wedding cake. I can't remember off the top of my head if there was something specifically very gay about the cake that they wanted to, that couple wanted to be made, or if it was just like a normal white wedding cake that was just a normal cake and then, um, that couple just happened to be gay and that was refused. I can't, I can't remember that specific detail. Although we did cover a story where that baker um, was going to make a cake that was for a trans person that was pink and blue. And then they refused to make the cake after they found out that it was for a trans person when they'd previously agreed to it, not knowing that and then declined to make it, which is clearly discrimination. Um, and anyway, so this is a little bit different. So this woman it has a wedding. But can I can Sorry. I address this before before you go to this because uh, these yeah. this is I don't think this is uh, these same the thing is if you allow bakers to discriminate what happens when it when it is the gas station or the pharmacy. Different. First of all, this is yeah that's completely different. First of all, we're not saying the question is not to allow whether or allowing or not allowing bakeries to discriminate. The question is 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 if this is discrimination or if this is um, you know just express somebody not ex being uh, just withholding your right not to express something that they don't want to okay that's that's the question so what you're doing is a slippery slope uh, fallacy right like no it doesn't even have to get to the gas station for us to decide whether this was it doesn't no first of all that, that's completely something that, that's something different like obviously it won't obviously in the united states if somebody says like i don't let you fill in gas here because you're gay that's Nobody disputes that that's discrimination, right? That's obviously discrimination. The, the question is about a website or a cake. That's like the Christian is now um, 
being involved in sending a message that they're saying is not in our belief. Like the case that you're saying, it's not like, it's not, oh, if we do this, it's going to go there. No, because that is obvious discrimination, right? So the point that Christians are trying to make here is that this is a case of discrimination because you're making us do things that goes in, against our beliefs. Like we're expressing ideas that are against our beliefs. But again, that that is not a good defense for the Christians because uh, you're not expressing anything. You're just doing your job. And this is not an ideology. This is people's ident, you know, biological in, inherent biological identities, right? Uh, so it's it, that's why it's different. But yeah, go on. Sorry, I need well, to. Well, firstly, I disagree that sexual orientation is um, a yeah, inherent I, biological. I noticed but that's besides the point. I know. I noticed that when I said it. So either biological identity or uh, sorry, either biological two different things, either biological traits or uh, I, sexual identity, okay? Not that they're always the same thing. Yes, of course, yes, yes. So biological traits like ethnicity or something else. Disability. Uh, and disability or sexual orientation or, yeah, other forms of identity. But not ideological-based so, ones. But go on. I just wanted to clarify some things about this case because it is pretty different in some ways from the controversial Baker case. So she is a wedding designer. And she was preparing to open an aspect of her business that would design wedding websites, which is apparently a thing. <laughs> and she was preemptively trying to get ahead of the ball, so to speak, by trying to petition for basically an exemption from existing anti-discrimination laws. Where, again, she hasn't started this aspect of her business yet, but she would be having something posted on her website that says that because of her beliefs, she does not provide the service to these people for this purpose, but she will design it for LGBT people um, for any other purpose. And, um, again, it's um, that... Smith's complaint alleges that requiring her to design for same-sex weddings would violate her right to free exercise of religion and that a provision of the law prohibiting public accommodations from publishing any communication that indicates a person's patronage will be refused because of their, viol their sexual orientation violates her freedom of speech. So they're saying because she's saying because I'm not allowed to post that I deny service to these people, that's violating my freedom of speech. So she's kind of Wait. making a free exercise claim and a freedom of speech claim. Wait, so that means that, um, I don't understand. Like if I commit murder, this is illegal uh, and I can't post about it. It's illegal now because my freedom of speech, no, because no. I could get in trouble. I don't understand. So I can't post. He, she, she's complaining that she can't post about the fact that she discriminated against a group of people because she could so, get in trouble by admitting it. I don't understand. I'm I'm no lawyer. OK, I'm no lawyer. Okay. But to me, this sounds the equivalent of saying it violates my free speech that I'm not allowed to post a whites only sign out front of my business. OK, so what I can't tell yeah, the difference it, between those two scenarios. <laughs> So, yeah, so basically it violates my free speech because I don't get to discriminate against a group of people. Or openly advertise yeah, that I actually, discriminate. Yeah, so it's not, again, free speech, there's limits to free speech are when other crimes are being committed with your speech, <laughs> right? Like um, free speech is not absolute. Free speech, the limitations of free speech is 
other crimes, right? Not because it's speech, but because it's it's not being you're not being your actions are not being limited because it's speech. Your actions are being limited because it's being covered under another law that has nothing to do with the mere limitations of your freedom of speech. For example, right? If I write on, you know, this bottle that this cures cancer and then go sell it uh, and then I get arrested, um, you can't be like, well, it's my free speech to say that this cures cancer. Yeah, you're not <laughs> you're not being arrested uh, for um, you know for your your speech being your speech is not being limited. You're being covered. Your the law the crime that is being committed here is that you use your speech to commit a scam, right? Uh, like, or for example, if I say that, hey, John, here's five thousand dollars. Go take care of that person for me, right? And I didn't do anything myself. I just told this person to do, go do it. Like, if I get arrested, do I like, hey, I just, I all I did was speak. I didn't do anything other than speaking. Well, Why am I being made arrested? A monetary offer. Well, I didn't yet. I just said I would. But mm. it, all I did, what all I did was just talk. I was like, John, if you if you do that for me, I will give you five thousand dollars. I didn't do anything. I just sit here and I just talk. And then he did. He went and did. Was this a crime? Yes, it was a crime. But all I did was speak. So is this a free speech violation? No, it's being covered. You're, you did nothing. You, this is being, you're being, um, you know, punished for another crime, all right? So again, if you say, if you go and say, like, we don't serve, I don't know, LGBT people here, okay? You can't be like, that's my free speech to say that. Well, again, you're, this is criminal, not because of any laws that exist that limits freedom of speech. This is another law that is being uh, that is being used to limit to punish you. The other law is you're not allowed to discriminate, right? So your freedom, your right, you know, your freedom of anything, not just speech, stops when <laughs> when other people's rights are being limited. Like when your you know your freedom does not extend so far so much so that you have the freedom to violate other people's rights, right? That's the, that's the border, right? You have the freedom to do anything you want as long as you're not violating other people's rights and freedoms, right? So, and again, so you can't be like, but it's my freedom of speech. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're violating other people's rights. You're discriminating against them. So this is actually pretty obvious. I mean, so I'm, I think like I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of this lady losing the case. What do you think? Um, yeah, I wanted to provide um, some more because I find this very interesting. The court agreed with Smith that requiring her to design websites for same-sex marriages could be considered compelled speech because the accommodation clause, quote, compels appellants to create speech that celebrates same-sex marriage, end quote, and it would, in effect, force them to create websites and thus speech that they would otherwise refuse. And she wrote, Quote, because the accommodation clause compels speech in this case, it also works as a content-based restriction. Appellants cannot create websites celebrating opposite marriages, opposite sex marriages, unless they also agree to serve customers who would request websites celebrating same-sex marriages. 
As a result, the court must subject the provision to strict scrutiny under which it is deemed unconstitutional unless it serves a compelling state interest and is narrowly tailored as necessary to achieve that interest. So they're basically saying, okay, if you um, were forced to, um, because she hasn't started this aspect of her business yet, but they're basically saying if you opened this aspect of your business, you have to provide it to both people. But if you were compelled to compelled to do it for same sex people, if you would, then then that would be unconstitutional. So basically, the the conclusion is you just shouldn't open this aspect of your business altogether if you're not if you're not willing to do it for all people. That's the way I interpret it. Uh, okay, so wait, is it as part of the? That's a court. That's a court. Whose arguments? That's a, so the uh, court's case is that. If you don't do this equally to everybody, you shouldn't open this business, right? Mm -hmm. um, is is her argument, her size argument, that she's being forced to exp express uh, views against her will, correct? Um, if she had to do this for same-sex couples, yes, and the court agreed with that. Wait, I don't understand. I thought she's. she's I thought the court didn't agree with her. I thought you're saying that she was saying that if I open this, um, you're forcing me to do say things that I don't like. But the court, but she lost the case. So what are you saying? The court agreed with her on? Um, wait. To be clear, I'm not. Uh, there are different levels of court, and I'm not sure which one I was just citing. So my apologies for that confusion. Um, no worries. But they they threw out her claim for a, her her attempt to get this exemption. Right. So for people who might be wondering, if, if, her, if her claim is that you're forcing me to say things that I don't want to say, no, you're not forced to say things you don't want to say because you don't have to have this job, right? Or you could just not do weddings, I guess. Um, yeah, so you could get you could go get another job, right? Like, if your job is to make cakes, then make cakes. Uh, if your job is to, you know, you can't be like, you're forcing me to serve, I don't know, these people here. Well, if you don't, that's illegal. Um, just like, you know, Catholic churches, you're like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to do these services in our, sorry, Catholic hospitals. When they say, like, you're forcing us to do things that are against our beliefs. Well, you don't have to be a hospital, I guess. <laughs> this is what hospitals are. These, are. these are the services hospitals have to provide, right? Um, yeah, I mean. And, and for people who say that, I hope also nobody thinks, like, um, the, I, I heard, like, so you're saying, I don't, I don't know if this is what you were suggesting, but uh, I felt like you were saying that, if anybody, they might suggest that you also get forced to, nobody forces people to make uh, websites for straight people, right? Like if somebody wants to make a, some website for gay people, right? And if you are straight and you come and say like, well, you have to make a website for us too. Um, and they're like, no, we just make websites for gay people. That is allowed uh, because straight people are not a protected class. Like I hope people understand the difference between, and when it comes to anti-discrimination, anti-discrimination laws are meant to protect protected classes, not other classes. Um, anyways, 
I have one more point I want to make. I just think it's really funny when people are fighting so hard for exemptions to anti-discrimination laws because of their beliefs. It's like, what does that reflect on your beliefs? Exactly. (laughs) Everything I need. Do you think it should... Do you think she should? So, do you, do you agree with this that you that she should not be able to do this? Personally, you think that I agree with that? Um, I don't know. It's very tricky because by providing a service, you're not explicitly agreeing with what is being said here. You know, um. If if there's all over this website, like I support gay marriage, and that's why we're getting gay marriage, well, like that's different. But just the fact. Yeah, but that, even if you did, you know, even if you did, you should be able yeah. to. You should make it. Yeah. It's really Is tricky. Yours. I don't. I, you know, I used to think it's tricky, but now I think like, you know, you you make it's very obvious that you are discriminating against a group of people. Nobody thinks that if you make a website saying that I support gay marriage, that's literally you saying it, you know. So, make it make the website, just make make the website or close the business. What is the punishment for this? Like, what is what are the consequences for this person? Well, she was attempting to preemptively get an exemption, essentially. Oh my god! So um, she's like, I know so I'm such a bigot actually committed discrimination against anyone already because she wasn't offering right. these services yet. Right, 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 right. This is but like she basically so wanted committed. to put she well, she wanted to basically put a straights only sign, well straight weddings only sign yeah. on her services website. Yeah. So this is like I'm so committed to my bigotry that I want to get a license. I that I'm preemptively with that before I even commit bigotry, I want to go get a license for it. <laughs> This basically what's happening here. Like, I just know. I just know I'm a bigot, guys. This is you know when people say like it goes against our religious beliefs. This is just this is another way of saying like we have bigoted beliefs, right? Like, hey, you know, like yeah, you know what? This is I'm completely for them not being allowed to do this because no, but no way, no other way would this be. Accepted. Like if we ha- if we didn't have Christianity, this is like religious privilege. If it if this was accepted, this would be a form of religious privilege, right? Because imagine if you didn't have Christianity, what argument would you have to make for the court? Uh, you know, dear judge, my client here is a bigot, and it will go against her bigotry, uh, her deeply held bigoted views, to make this website. So she wants a legal exemption because her bigoted views would not let her make this website. Like people are like, no, get the, no, we're not gonna give you exemptions, right? So only it's only when people say like, oh, it's no, it's sorry, let me rephrase that. It's Christianity. Like, oh, okay, here's your exemption then. So, or like, so like, no, like if you oh, can't, if okay. you can't, <laughs> okay, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> Exemption without mentioning Christianity or Islam or whatever else, then you shouldn't. If you can't get an exemption through other ways, then Islam or Christianity should not be a license for you to get that exemption, right? So this is also a way to fight against religious privilege. Um, yeah, I think that was, I think that was very well put by myself. So 
Okay. Here. Um, Mega Leech is saying also by make this case, they may just be getting notoriety like advertising. We are talking about it after all. You have a point, Mega Leech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's, it's also really funny when people fight so hard to um exclude cl- potential clientele from themselves. You know, like this is in this economy. <laughs> they, they just love Jesus. You just don't understand the love of Jesus. You just don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, look, secular rarity thinks I was on point. Um, secular rarity is just our cheerleader, just in the light chat. It's just like, woo, Sus, yay, woo, Armin. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, all right. Oh, thank you, Kuka. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Can we uh, clap for the next news? By the way, yes, before we. Before we go to the next news, I just want to mention how much, like, I I don't know how do you have so much facts on your hand on each one of our news. Like, the fact you, you just have access to, like, articles and data and Me? stories. Yeah, you. Like, every time we bring up a story, like, you just, like, I like it, I just want to say I don't express, express it enough that it's just so impressive how just randomly and organically every time we cover the news you just like have access to a library of information in your head that you Aww, just bring up you. to make more points. yeah just wanted to make sure well okay. Armin, um <laughs> but between the two of us someone has to prepare for this show <laughs> sure <laughs> you just show up <laughs> ouch okay i'm never complimenting you again Jeez, that was last <laughs> oh come on last you know Last time I tried, last time I did that. Okay, okay, all right. It's all love. It's all love. <laughs> no, I do really enjoy doing research for this. And um, no, but it's, you, it's not just a research. It's not just a research because you bring up stuff that that in response to some things I say that you you couldn't have possibly researched for. Anyways, anyways, I'm gonna stop it. Um, oh, thank you. No, that, yeah, enjoy it because that was the last time. Uh, <laughs> we'll right. see about this. My good, excellence good, good, good. is undeniable. <laughs> good, good. Glad you recognize it. All right. Um, clapping for the next news. Okay. Yes. Next news. Next news. 10 years of Atheist Republic on Facebook and Twitter. Yay! Woo! So, um, this was kind of fun. Recently, and it was a few weeks ago, but we had, so last news is always Atheist Republic news. And um, I would have covered this sooner because it happened like, what, a week and a half ago or so. Um, but, you know, we had we had more dramatic pressing news to cover. But I also just wanted to take a moment to celebrate this. Um, so next year will be Atheist Republic's 10 year anniversary as an actual entity, um, specifically in Canada. And then our U S entity is newer, much newer. Um, 
but before you know we were a big old big boy entity um you know we were just a social network for people um and before twitter and facebook it was i can never say it right it's okert right is that how you say it um or cut thank you i can never say it right (laughs) um but yeah i just thought it was cool so in, in the 10 years since Atheist Republic has been on Facebook, it is now the largest atheist page in the world with almost 2.5 million members. Um, I think our Twitter page is also the largest atheist Twitter page, prob- potentially. We have, um, I believe, over 130,000 followers there we've grown quite a lot on twitter recently within the past year and really? I, don't, I think what it's about very instagram? exciting um what, how many how many are we on instagram oh at Ooh. least one hundred twenty thousand. let me nice. let me double check um but i just wanted right, so to t- take a moment to celebrate you know kind of the origins of our community we oh my gosh we have 135,000 on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Wow. Goal for the next 10 years is to be wiped out of every single one of these platforms. <laughs> oh shut up. <laughs> the rate things are going. <laughs> uh, but where do you think we're going to be in 10 years? No, what do you think we're going to do? We got to take it to the moon. To the moon Take 10 years from now where are we so year 20 year t- so this is year 10 year 20 where are we where are we at on which platform i'm gonna tell on you. facebook i'll go for it no overall no what are we doing 10 20 years from now we have hopefully gotten more resources from our art so that we could do some p- serious plans that on uh, Mm-hmm. that Suze has for human rights issues, right? There are some plans that we have, I mean, Susie has, for us to do human rights-related stuff that we can't afford, right? We don't have the resources for. But if we keep growing on Patreon with our art project, um, I'm hoping, like, within a you know decade or so, we will become a serious, you know, defender of you know ex-muslims non-believers in general yeah ex-muslims and atheists around the world somehow Mm -hmm. um but like without like wasting money like we're going to be very very efficient about it so we're going to see what we can do right Mm -hmm. anyway to be able to do that by the way i'm hoping that we could pick it up our art projects to if we could afford it uh, to at some point to make full-on animation with Mm -hmm. our art and use yes. that as a way to fund legal actions. I don't know, figure mm-hmm. out what to do. But it is it, you know, we we already have like a lot of other organizations to model ourselves after and pick and choose for the best practices of different organizations and to make a, our own unique way of fighting for atheists around the globe. But yeah. But, so um, that's our plan. <laughs> Wait, Megalich had a funny question or statement. He said, "Next ten-year goal: abandon twenty countries." 
Yes. Um, well, speaking I, of animations, can you can you play the little animation that I made? Just because I was very proud of myself. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not that exciting, but I liked it. Yay! There we go. Oh, <laughs> um, that's cute. So, Yay. Um, so good. That's just to that's good. Highlight, you know, more of what we do because a lot of people think, oh, you guys are just a YouTube channel. Oh, you guys are just a Facebook page. Oh, I you I didn't even know you did this. We have so much of our community. We have a community on YouTube. We have our community on Facebook. We have our community on Twitter. Basically, every platform, Discord, etc. We also have a forum that's built into our actual website. If you guys want to check that out, but um, we also have. Um, over 150 local consulates, we call them, or local groups to meet atheists in your area across the world in 72 different countries. So um, if you would like to find uh, um, our presence in your area or the next biggest city in your area, go to atheistrepublic.com slash consulates to, you know, find your AR community near you. Um, that was a very part important part of the growth of our organization because, you know, we were had our Facebook page growing and a lot of people were like, I actually can't really um, interact with the public Facebook page publicly because it's not safe for me. So then that kind of created the foundation of our private group, which is one of the largest um, atheist private groups on Facebook. Um, if you want to find our international group, which has... Um, I believe over 182, no, no, not 100, 82,000 people. Um, you can also find that on the um, atheismrepublic.com slash consulates. And then it's under drop down. You do a little drop down and it's under international groups. Um, but then people were like, you know, this international group is a lot of fun. I get to meet people from around the world. But for some people, not everyone, you can't um, beat in-person connection they want to be able to find people actually in their community and that was kind of the birth of a lot of the local groups and it's just expanded out um outward from there in fact ladies and gentlemen and uh non-binary pals we actually have a dating community as well also under the international wow. tab on the same url where can people find all of this by the way all of this stuff that we created on atheistrepublic.com atheistrepublic.com go check it out all of the local consulates if you want to find atheists near you if you want to find like can they find the dating consulate also on our, our website yeah like i said atheistrepublic.com slash consulates and then we have drop down menus for the different areas but for mm -hmm. the dating that is under the international groups which is at the very top of the page okay so the dating group is under the so atheistrepublic.com for work or you could just search on you know your browser uh, atheistrepublic.com atheist republic consulates the first result will be the consulates and then under the international section of it you can see the dating one um and then we have like if you don't like facebook we have our own as susie mentioned our own website um we have books there books that we published on our own website guys we do a lot of things like people don't know like, we have a lot we have a lot of uh, we have our own news team we have our own, you know, communities, local communities. We have we publish books. We're making uh, art now. Resources if uh, you're seeking asylum. Yes, yes. So yeah, and also by the way, our Persian um, channel is growing as well. So we should Shh, talk about, that, about next. that next week. Shh. Oh, okay, next week. Shh. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> all, right, all right. And um, 
go check out our website. There's so much that we do there. I personally love it if you guys submit fan signs. So on across our social media, you'll often see pictures of people holding up a sign celebrating Atheist Republic or proudly declaring mm. their atheism. Um, you can submit your fan sign. You don't have to include your face. If you're not in an area where it's safe, you can just maybe say your location, like country, not specifically. <laughs> and um, But again, you know, safety first. Make that decision for yourself. And um, we have uh, merchandise, if you're like that, if you want to rep, rep, you know, rep the squad, represent the world's largest international atheist organization. And um, we're, we're taking Atheist Republic to the moon man um if you are interested in our blasphemous art project you can check that out at blasphemousart.com and um either in the description below here or on blasphemousart.com you can subscribe to our newsletter where you will get all our blasphemous art for free sent straight to your inbox so i really encourage that and if you like it so much and you want to see the naughty version you can um support us on patreon um but i also want to emphasize that one you can um Support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. And you also get the benefits of getting your questions during our, you know, ask us anything or ask an atheist, you know, um, you get priority in asking your questions. Um, you can do it for as little as, uh, as a dollar a month. Um, also, if you're not really interested in um, an ongoing subscription, we have other ways that you can donate. Um, those are in the description, such as just like, maybe you want to throw some change on PayPal. Um, but also importantly, um, Armin and I always emphasize, emphasize that do not support us financially if you are struggling financially. Um, we really stress that it is important in our community that you take care of yourself first. That's what we would want. So yes. <laughs> with that in mind, um, subscribe to our newsletter yeah. because that is our way yeah. that we can always keep track of you in case we are not on these platforms in 10 years. <laughs> Yes. So support us financially only if you are um, not struggling. But if you are struggling, you can still support us by just sharing our content. Okay. Yes. That's free. Just like this video. That's that's doesn't cost you anything other than half a second, and it helps us. So please like, like, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell button, all the thing. Do it. Do all the things. Just go. Just have the spasm on all the buttons below the video. Okay. Um, all right. Plug. Yeah. Go ahead. Um. I am so happy and proud to be the leader of this organization. Aww. And um, I think it's awesome that it's in our mission to first and foremost, provide a community for atheists to express their non-belief. And for a lot of people, they can only do that online, you know? And so that's why so much of what we do is online oriented. Um, but that's not our only mission, right? Like we want um, a safe space for atheists to talk about what they're going through, share their experiences, know that they're not alone and have the support that's necessary for them to um, have that sense of belonging that is just so important to us as social creatures. But we're, we want to do more than just providing a community, right? We actually want to try to change attitudes that makes people's um, uh, environment around them more beneficial like promoting secularism promoting enlightenment values promoting free expression um and so many other um fighting dogma you know and that comes in many different forms and um that's part of why 
we do this news show, for example, because it gives us the opportunity to emphasize those things, talk about difficult topics and um, possibly provide people with an alternative of thinking about difficult things that might point them towards a more um, compassionate, thoughtful and nuanced way of approaching really sticky intergroup, you know, conflicts. Um, mm. But that was my uh, mushy uh little speech <laughs> honestly things have got so much better since Susanna has joined she literally saved the atheist republic like Aww. yeah no you, you know that's true um music guy is saying in 10 years Susie will be full-time as CEO in 10 let's years hope. nobody talk what do you mean let's hope in one year 10 years Jesus, guys, no, get us it doesn't to... say that it, we will only achieve it after 10 years. Just by mm. that market, it will have already happened. Guys, help us <laughs> make Susanna a full-time CEO. If we get to 1,000 patrons, then Susie will be able to become a full-time CEO. And then we will go to them, literally go to the moon, okay? Because with Susanna doing this full-time, it would be amazing, okay? I'm going to so... talk to whichever one of these billionaires is taking us. To lunar orbit, okay, and make sure that we get this this logo and printed yeah. on the freaking moon. Uh, but only yeah. after I have, well, we have liberated the world, okay. <laughs> the moon is after that. <laughs> yes, atheist rights in the moon. Anyways, guys, thank you for your support. Um, thank you for all the love in the live chat. You guys are amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And here's to another ten years. Yay! Yay. Thank you, um, <laughs> and bye. <laughs>